Welcome, ladies and gentlemen, to Level Playing Field. I'm your host, Andrew Kimball, and to my right is Caleb Van Nice. Hello, everyone. <laughs> wow. <laughs> to my left is Braden Kimball. Hey, guys. How's it going? <laughs> oh, my God. We're off to a great start today. Yeah. Uh, we're going to talk about God of War, the most recent one that came out in 2018. Mm-hmm. Little game. You may have heard of it if you're interested in video games at all. It kind of made a big splash last year. Uh, but before we dive into that, how you guys been doing? Haven't seen you in a while. Anything interesting? Kind of, you know, maybe gaming related just to keep it on topic been going on? Oh, well, I just beat Spider-Man also we on PS4. do another episode yeah. on that. We got to talk about that Spider-Man. Good game. Spider-Man's, Spider-Man's pretty fun. good. Yeah, when I yeah. finished it, the first thing I did was text Caleb and was like, dude, <laughs> finish it. We have to talk about this, so hurry up and finish it. Yeah, because when you finished it, I was right in the middle of a semester of school. Ah. And my brother had purchased the game. Yeah, they had it. We, we mm-hmm. just, neither of us had finished it yet. Him, because he more purchased it as like a carrot like to finish the semester like look it's sitting there just get your work done and you can play it Mm -hmm. so it was in the house and everything and i had started it up like played 15 20 minutes maybe um swung around the city which is a lot of fun but yeah no i hadn't actually done anything so i just kept getting texts and then when i finally started in earnest i remember it took me longer um than it usually does for whatever reason and you were getting quite impatient with me because i i I needed to talk about that ending, which we'll get into in detail yeah. if we do an episode on it. But just a quick aside, like that's the that game was the reason I bought a PS4, and it was like pure nostalgic joy just playing it. And mm-hmm. this is a small aside, but related. Have you seen the video where the guy tracks down the original architect for the web slinging in the Spider-Man Two PS2 GameCube game, and has him play? the ps4 spider-man just like to that sounds familiar like i may have seen like the headline of it or whatever but i I haven't actually seen i haven't actually seen any detail on it or watched the video or whatever okay yeah it was i skimmed but if you can send it to me i I will do that before before we do jumping off point for our spider-man episode which this is not yeah no this This is true so is there anything else gaming i have been most of my main gaming time um has been playing god of war last last episode we talked about the podcast raising kratos and that was basically all the ammunition i needed to like shove me back into a replay which i'd been wanting to do for a while right um so i just i idly started it up i think part partly just because i like to do this occasionally where like i show my sister or my mom who's who neither of whom are is into all the same stuff as i am like hey here see you might like some of this because the Several things about the art direction of the game, which we'll get into, it's just fascinating and really well done. Um, but then, you know, once it's on and once I'm playing it and once I get far enough into it, I'm like, all right, this is just, this is what I'm doing now. This is, yeah. so that I have, game, it draws you in pretty well. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's definitely easy to get lost in that world. So gaming related, I guess, uh, I've gotten drawn back into Grand Theft Auto online. Oh, all right. Yeah, they released the casino update. I was intrigued by it, but yeah, didn't me, really bother to. Me and Dylan Wren, who has previously been on this podcast, uh, we've been playing. The casino update drew me back in, but then they've added so much content since I last played that it's it's been kind of refreshing and fun to get back into it. Uh, 
it's also fun if you have someone that you know will play with you. Yeah, exactly. But a lot of the content that I I I gambled on the horse races, made some money, did a few jobs here and there, had enough money, and then I went ahead and just bought like the Criminal Enterprises pack that gives you a shark card and unlocks like seven or eight cars two of the dlc packs immediately open up and it's for like 20 25 bucks or something it's not bad no so i i bought that and jumped in and once that happens and it opens up there's a lot of stuff you can do just solo to kind of like prep for stuff to where when you play with your friends you can knock out a bunch of money making stuff pretty quick Mm -hmm. so it's been pretty fun we've been enjoying it i think that in the future Dylan and I are going to do kind of like a maybe retrospective kind of episode on, you know, returning to Grand Theft Auto Online six years later and just kind of discuss when we first played it, when we're playing it now, things we like about it, stuff like that. So that's that's kind of been what I've been playing. I've also been playing a little bit of Fire Emblem, which I want to dive into a little more on a later episode as well because I haven't beat it, but I've really been enjoying it. And I'm still chugging along in The Witcher. How's that going? Pretty good. Just got to care more. Hmm. So it's pretty decent chug right there. It was a good, good like pausing point to. When did you start this last playthrough? Uh, did we talk know. about it the first episode I was on? No, no, no. no, no okay, no. no. So it hasn't been that long. That was like I restarted February. my. I did my PlayStation playthrough. It's probably been about a month or or so, maybe a little. You're playing longer. it on PlayStation. Yeah. <laughs> to get the trophies, uh, which yeah. is their dorky version of achievements. We'll say that playing it on PC is probably the most gratifying RPG experience I've had so far. Just cause it's, there really is no, like there's nothing in it that pulls you out of the, the world and like the experience. Right. Yeah. Cause the loading times are next to nothing. And, and the I've, visuals are, yeah, the visuals as they are can be beautiful. Yeah. And the, um, I've have a few quality of life mods that, don't really affect any fundamental aspects of it, but just make it more like either lore friendly or um, just thing. It changes some little things. Yeah. No, I, I haven't, we've discussed this before. I haven't played Witcher yet, but uh, I know what you mean on the quality of life mods for like Skyrim. Mm-hmm. I always forget. And this didn't hit me until I got Skyrim for switch and started playing around in it how much those little insubstantial like mods can make such a huge difference. They're just like you get used to operating in a certain way. Cause you have them for, for example, even the fact in, you know, vanilla Skyrim, you only have one follower and you can only have one follower. And that just is insane to me. Cause every time I played it on PC, I usually had like a small party of two or three. So mm-hmm. it's well, it's speaking of one follower, let's talk about God of war. <laughs> nice. Very like smooth, yeah. smooth. Good segue. Transition. And now nice. that we've acknowledged it to death, it's no longer smooth. So you're welcome. Well, you know. Yeah. That's what we're here for. Your, is he your really, job. Is he really a follower or is he more of a companion? I mean, honestly. Well, they I guess call that's them semantics. companions in games where you have followers. But anyways, I wanted to open it up. I want to start with just some some top level. Let's talk about this game. What is it? Uh just imagine someone had never played it or you're trying to explain it to a friend who had never played video games. We won't go too long on this because if you're listening to a gaming podcast, you probably get it, but there's a big man. He has an axe and a child. That's yeah. the game. So God of War, 
traditionally in the genre has just been a third person action hack and slash kind of game. The newest one is not really an exception, although they did lean a little, well, I don't know. We'll get into that, but they lean more into puzzles and, uh, exploration such stuff like that i'm not sure how much the old ones leaned well, into that see that's yeah the old ones seem to me more like they probably had puzzles and exploration but it was more ps2 era like i'm trying to think of a good um word for it but it was probably more akin yeah no i know i uh there was i'm trying to think of a good comparison point for stuff we played but it was more of a platforming action type thing yeah, but I mean, if you if you played games in that era, you know, and probably lots of people that played the new one played the older ones as well and know kind of mm-hmm. what that game was. And so God of War, which is technically what, the fourth game? Five if you count the handheld? There are actually like There's two, a few. There's, yeah, there's like two handhelds and four main series games. Three, the three, the original trilogy, mm-hmm. a kind of prequel, sidequel type deal. Was that Ascension? Was that Ascension? Yeah. I thought Ascension was handheld, but... No, no, no. There are two different handheld ones. Ghost of Sparta. I can't remember the other one. Oh, okay. So, yeah. yeah. So, this one is kind of... Wasn't kind of. It was a reboot. Was it the one about fate? Was that the other PSP one where he Maybe. fights the fates, the three fates? Maybe. But it wasn't a reboot in the sense of we're just going to restart everything. It was like, hey, what if we time jump forward far and enough tell to a where, new story? Yes, far enough mm-hmm. that the old stuff is more like... History. History instead of just stuff you need to be knowledgeable about. And so the gameplay is third-person action combat. Uh, the combat is relatively challenging in the beginning. I know I struggled with it a little bit. Once you kind of grasp yeah. it and get a feel for it, it's not too bad. Uh, I have many thoughts on the combat. Spoiler warning, I really like it. Yeah, I, mm-hmm. it grew on me a lot. At first, yeah. it was turning me off, and I didn't like it at all. But then as as you kind of grasp it and as the game progresses and you start learning how the upgrade system works and stuff, mm-hmm. it definitely grew on me. Uh, but yeah, from so yeah, you play as Kratos, the god of war, mm-hmm. and you're escorting your son with your dead wife's ashes to the top of the highest mountain. In the realms. In, the in realms, all the realms, specifically. To, <clears throat> it was her last wish. To pay homage yeah. to her, yeah. So... That's the gist of the game, and it plays out, you know, with and you're in you're in the uh, Nordic lands. What what is their religion called? I'm completely blanking. Norse. Yeah, I guess the Norse gods. Yeah, Thor yeah, and Norse Odin and all that. And, and, Whereas the yeah. previous games dealt with like Zeus and Greek mythology. Yeah, primarily. so you've gone from Greece, which was another way that they kind of separated themselves from the mm. the older games to Midgard. Which, yeah, just a completely different setting in tone in pace and art and so environment in general other than the fact that the quality is top-notch the the game itself is pretty common the gameplay style the whole kind of spoke system of the world Mm -hmm. the third person action yeah they're not it's it's all it's all been done before. Yeah, it's not mm-hmm. reinventing the wheel as much as it's just a really well-made wheel. But yes, God of War kind of either of hit it. it like 10 out of 10 or stepped it up a notch or just did things. I think it really is the narrative and the way that they they didn't betray anything from the original story or change or alter right. anything. And I think that's what won the reviewers over. On top of it being an incredibly polished game. Right. 
I will say that the narrative helped, but also the combat system was. Yeah, I imagine we're going to talk about it more anyway, but the combat system in this game is probably my favorite combat system in any video game I've played. It's just you think really... it tops the Arkham games? I definitely yes. like it more than Spider-Man. We can get into that on yeah, the Spider-Man no. podcast. But yeah, no, I do. Even the Arkham games... That were good? Yeah, Well, no. like, at their time? like The Arkham, I actually have For a what lot. they did at the time? Yeah, no. The free-flow combat system in the Arkham games was important, and I liked it, and it was much more satisfying than what we've been getting for years. The problem with it was that it didn't really allow you as many options. It had a specific purpose. It was designed to make you like, okay, when Batman walks into a room with 20 guys, he's going to beat the crap out of all 20 guys. It's not a problem. So the goal was, how do you make that into a, th- into a fun and engaging way to play a game? Right. Um, and the free flow combat system did really, really good at that. The problem with it is it didn't actually allow you a whole lot of options. It's basically just a timing mini game, which... It, right. It's fun, and I got really good at it. I don't, I don't know if you remember this, but one time I was on like my new game plus of Arkham City, and you came over, and I was in the middle of something, and you're like, "You've been playing this a lot, haven't you?" I'm like, "Why?" You're like, you have a 100 something combo just racked up because I, I, I had figured it out. And then I'm pretty sure I did like a 250 combo. Yeah, no, after you had that. to show me up. Yeah, no, I'm just bit. kidding. <laughs> um, but uh, it was good. It just looking back on it. It was it was good, and the first two games especially used it really well, but it was kind of lacking because it was usually just, okay, there's 20 guys in a room. Well, you beat this this one with this one and this one and this one, and you press this button and hit that button. It definitely helps that it was Batman and it was visually appealing. Oh, yeah. So no, it looked gorgeous. Would I think you that was, say it kind of suffered the same fate as Rise, Son of Rome? Did you ever play that? I didn't, but I heard many like... Because that game, it was basically on rails like even yeah. the combat there was no true like, no see rise Sun of rome was more of like a a big quick time event and i liked that yeah. game for what it was but it yeah. was arkham, i enjoyed it but arkham it, you had a little more flexibility yeah, yeah you had a little bit yeah no the, the my issue with arkham looking back on it isn't so much the problem with those themselves but the fact is for a little while a lot of games said oh we just do arkham uh-huh and mm-hmm. Arkham worked in a very specific niche. Right. Like, I, I played the... Assassin's Creed definitely did it for Cause a it, while. Because it, it was taking into account that you're Batman. Right. Insomniac Spider-Man kind of did it, but theirs is a little bit more fun, I would yeah. say. There's a lot more... There's there's more variety in variety, Spider-Man. Yeah, that's the word yeah. I'm looking for. Which is, which is why I go to why God of War is my favorite. Because, like you said, w- when I first started it, it was really tough to get the hang of. But... As you go forward, and I'm just now at the point in my recent playthrough where I'm really opening up, uh-huh. You once you learn it and once you have enough upgrades unlocked, you have so much flexibility in how you can approach any Especially, situation. Especially, yeah, between using mm-hmm. your fists, the axe, and oh, what yeah. we'll get into later. It's but very rewarding. Yeah, no. and so you, I feel like it borrows more from, like, say, a Souls game. Mm-hmm. It uses the bumper and trigger, right? Yeah, no, it's yeah. for the combat thing, which actually really, I don't know, for some reason, just the fact that the heavy attack and the light attack are there. and I I like that trend in video games. Ubisoft's been using it a lot. The new Assassin's Creed games use it. Uh, using the triggers for more action-oriented games. I, 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 I've been a fan of it. I know some people don't care for it. They like to switch their controls back to face buttons, but... Um, when it's on face buttons, I feel like I'm playing like a fighting game like mm. mortal Kombat or something and it takes me out of the 
role-playing aspect of it. Like if I'm trying to immerse myself in that See, world. like the Witcher had face buttons and it doesn't bother me. Well, yeah, that's true. That's the, the fighting game thing. You bring up another point why I love the God of War thing so much is because my big issue with any fighting game not named Super Smash Brothers, even the ones I like, like Injustice, it's combo memorization and the combos don't always match your moves. You know, you mm-hmm. have... Right. When you, when you play, for example, when I play Injustice and I usually play as Hellboy, there's like a back circle like back quarter turn circle move that he pulls out a gun and shoots. Mm -hmm. But normally like a forward circle is a punch. And I'm just like, even though I'm moving the control stick backward and pressing circle instead of going back and he points the gun forward. And it's just, it's more of memorizing the pattern. It's memorizing the patterns and the patterns are arbitrary is the thing with, right. There's no direct relation to what the character is doing. With God of war. I think a lot of it is not just the shoulder things, but it's also, this makes sense in the context of what you're doing. So yes. once you learn like, hey, this switches between this um, stance and this stance, and we'll get into later the other stance. You know, I didn't realize until I'd beaten the game that when you're throwing the axe, you have a slowing, like a slow heavy throw and a light super fast throw. I went through the <laughs> entire game using the slow throw. My brother did a similar thing. And mind you, my brother is one of the best people at video games that I know. But he went through like the first let's say three hours of the game without knowing about the light attack button at all. He had just been using heavy attack wow. for every fight <laughs> and he'd been winning, but he'd been slower than he liked. He's like, this ax is just really slow. It's a really like, sluggish game. Yeah, no. And yeah. once, once that clicked, like, Oh no, there's a light attack. The, the difference in the trigger matters. There's a light attack button. Mm-hmm. It just, yeah. No, I have a similar story where I beat the first Kirby game I ever played on game boy without knowing you could take the enemy's abilities. Like the and main, so I just sucked wow. them up and spit them out. The main shtick. <laughs> and played yeah. the entire game that way. <laughs> it wasn't yeah. until I played Kirby on N64 where I accidentally like pressed down, and I was like, "What? Wh- why does Kirby look like that? Wh- I can shoot spikes? What's going on? And then I realized that was the whole point of yeah, Kirby. No, that's... that's why he's named after a vacuum. Yeah. That's hilarious. If, in your def- if it makes you feel better, though, the very first Kirby game, Kirby's Dream Land for Game Boy... Um, did not have copy abilities. It was, they weren't added until Kirby's Adventure. For yeah, instance. but I think this was like Kirby. It wasn't the original Kirby. It, it was, was like, like Dreamland Two. Or yeah, a, it was like Kirby for Game Boy Color or one of the okay. later ones because I didn't have the original. Right. But uh, so let's let's talk about our history with God of War as a series going into this game that we're talking about, and also this might be a good time for me to just lay it all out there since you know we're however many minutes in we're gonna spoil the crap out of this game we are gonna literally talk about like the last four minutes of this game to a probably a large degree of speculation of what happens next because the last like 10 minutes of this game are just like there's a a couple of bombs to drop for if you have not played 2018's god of war game of the year now go play it then come back and listen to this or if you don't care about spoilers listen to this and uh, and then go play it. Still go play it. It's Give really us a, a like and a subscribe. Even if you know garbage. nothing about the the story, you could put the combat mechanics into a sandbox, and you still have fun for like half an hour. So, yeah. so if you don't know your just anyways, your just out of you know, the goodness of my heart, I figured mm-hmm. we should put I a spoiler warning <laughs> out there. Now that we've got that out of the way, 
I probably mispronounced both of those horribly. I know what they are. I just can't. So Snape kills Dumbledore. I thought that was crazy how that happened at the end of the game. I also thought it was crazy that, um, what's his face, Ezra Miller was secretly Dumbledore after a convoluted series of events. Mm-hmm. Well, he wasn't Dumbledore, but he was related to him, like a half brother or something. And just mm-hmm. it took seventeen minutes for he them was to mildly him. unintelligent door. Yeah, <laughs> he was. He was slightly, slightly more educated door. Yeah, nice bachelor degree door. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Anything else we want to no. spoil real quick? <laughs> uh, the dude in Die Hard Three is Hans Gruber's Zimmer? brother. Oh no, no. Okay. He's doing the score for. The Dune movie by oh nice. Denny even who I forgot that, that that was happening. Yeah, mm. that's why he's not doing the score for the next. Do you remember the Nolan other movie? Dune movie with Patrick Stewart <laughs> in his like gelatinous armor suit? That's hilarious. Oh. It looks like someone superimposed Jello onto him as he was fighting. You ever seen that movie? To my right, no. Man, it's a good experience. Dad made us watch it. A while so, ago. Anyways, we were way off topic. What is your history going into God of War 2018? Never played it. Uh, <laughs> any of the games. There we go. Yeah. Any of the... Uh, Me God either. I never had a PlayStation really, so... Yeah, exactly. I always thought, thing. like, just seeing advertisements and stuff, I was like, if I ever got a PlayStation, I'd probably play the series. It looks cool. Action, God of War, fighting, you know... Seemed right up my alley, but I never, I didn't get a PlayStation until the PS4. I, I played on other people's systems here and there, but it, it just was never, it was never a system seller for me, so I never bought the console and jumped in. I do have God of War 3 remastered because they like gave it away on mm-hmm. PS Plus or whatever, and I may go back and see how it holds up, but yeah, no, no prior knowledge. I knew what the character looked like. I yeah, maybe exactly. knew his name. That was about it. I think I did know his name ahead of time, just from random, just digesting random. I was gonna say media. I may have seen it somewhere, yeah. but I wasn't like. Con- if you ask me, what's the guy my, God of War's name? My I God of War like, timeline uh, is: I knew they existed. I saw that the latest one had come out, and it was hugely successful and popular and very well liked. I didn't have a PS4 or access to one, and my life was busy, so I was like, okay, whatever. And then. Um, cut to like a week ago, watched the Raising Kratos documentary that got me interested enough to play it. I now have access to a PS4, so I played it, enjoyed it a lot, and then I spent the next day or two after that catching up on the entire universe's lore, watching YouTube videos on the older games and all of that kind yeah, of stuff. Yeah, I did that too going into it. I read like a a summary and kind of watched like a yeah. recap, but I rewatched I like it the Aphrodite scene from the second or third game a few times, you know, just to fully understand what was going on there. <laughs> <laughs> just to... Uh, the, yeah. Caleb. <laughs> yeah, no. Um, I hadn't played the older ones, but it was... I didn't have a PlayStation console until 3. But normally... Uh, I've mentioned this before on the podcast. I'm a giant mythology nerd. Greek, Norse. Although I'm rustier on my Norse than I am with the other ones. That That's why I really enjoy this. I'm like, ooh, okay, I do know that. Or, ooh, I didn't know that. And whatnot um arthurian cycle love all that stuff uh but 
I had I was aware of the other God of War games, and the, I had a period when I first got my PS3 where the you know they release all those collections of like the Ratchet and Clank collection, the Sly Cooper collection, ICO and Shadow of Colossus collection. I don't know. I didn't have a PS3 because oh. I wasn't a millionaire. Well, neither mm. was I, but I had a summer job for the first time, and I was a teenager, and I'm like, ooh, neat. What did they say? You can get a second job? What? <laughs> Wasn't that what they said when they announced the price? Oh, I didn't buy a PS3 until the <laughs> price cuts. <laughs> it came kidding? out, and it was $600. Yeah, no. They were no like, one, you no get a second job. You know what's I, funny is that dynamic flipped entirely oh, yeah. with yeah, the we've, following The way generation. the 360 crushed PS3, PlayStation crushed that. Crushed Xbox for the same reasons. Oh yeah, yeah no, because five hundred dollars for and Xbox it was both One? the same reason because you have was, to buy a Connect. Yeah, yeah. It, it was it was the same reason for both too. It was just arrogance. PlayStation yeah. Two had owned the market last time, so like we can do whatever we want with the PS Three and people will buy it. Mm-hmm. That wasn't true. And then coming off the success of the three sixty Xbox is like we can do whatever we want and people will buy it. And it's kind of funny though true. that the Xbox One, if it had released now, would probably be a lot of the features would be more accepted. Not necessarily the Kinect and the fact that it was like a TV sports box. Right. But just the whole, like, the, the always connection stuff and, all, and all, yeah, all that kind of stuff. Yeah, they were accepted. a little, I think they were a little ahead of the curve on that. But it, mostly it was messaging. Like, well, yeah. and They, not to they mention, just yeah. didn't message it very well. Yeah. Not to mention, at the time, the features they were saying, you have to connect at least once a day online to be able to use your games that you purchased. Exactly. And most people were like, Plus, excuse me, no. Unless you're like a kind of nerd that falls into an engineering category or like, you know, audio or something like that to where you can find a well-paying career. A lot of gamers are not rolling in money. Like their primary demographic is not super wealthy. So that's why the PlayStation two sold so well. One, because it was a good DVD player. Oh yeah. And it, and yeah, two, it had because Blu- Blu-ray, didn't it? No, it, no, no. That was it was like a hundred dollars. Well, yeah, it was cheaper towards and, the end and they sold Buku. Yeah. Yeah. And it also had, this was the other key thing. The PlayStation 2 had games upon games upon games upon right. games. There were just... But it, it reached a more casual audience, mm-hmm. not necessarily in the same way that we did, but a similar way because of the DVD player and the price drops. But back to God of War. Right. So I was aware of the series, but I had kind of an opposite reaction, even though I'm a giant mythology nerd. So the idea of... No, literally, it gets its name because he fights Ares, the god of war, and eventually usurps his position, and then he has to struggle with the rest of the Greek pantheon. That all sounds great. The gameplay itself, though, looked fine. Like, the spectacle was kind of neat. But it always just looked like it was going, you know, rated M for shock value for to me. For the sake of being rated Yeah, no, it was over. I remember watching um, the E3 demo of Ascension one year. And I just, the game did nothing because it was just, ever the gore was gory for gory's sake, like just jets of blood, gore, mm-hmm. guts. Um, then, of course, there were the infamous sex scenes that I was just like, yeah, I don't, I want a fun um, Greek mythology time in a video game, right. but I didn't want all of that schlock in it. So it just didn't appeal to me. And I sort of, all right, sure, whatever, just not my thing. Until that infamous E3 reveal of the new one, where, you know, I'm kind of on a PlayStation high. I've loved, I loved my PS3 and a lot of the exclusives. I was really enjoying my PS4 with Uncharted and whatnot. And then they just dropped that, um, that trailer with Kratos stepping out. And something about that first trailer was like, okay, hang on. They're doing something different with this one. Like they're, they're going for a very different tone angle. It's much more reserved much more controlled much more mature like, in like a in like an actual mature grown-up way, way not yeah. like yeah. a 
not like a violence and boobs way yeah yeah so yeah a lot of that just caught my attention and like the emotions on display were like really raw and real and And the crowd reaction oh my goodness i still remember them going nuts um yeah the new one is definitely far less gratuitous in pretty much every way and i mean it still has like beheadings and whatnot but it it it's like you said it's much less gratuitous and it when you get to the part where you do actually like decapitate monsters and whatnot yeah you get it. Like it makes sense. You have a huge magic axe that oh, you yeah. are. And honestly, yeah. one of the reasons I love this game is it's so great to just let out some aggression and whatnot. Especially you when you're fighting with your fists. Oh, yeah. No, yeah, that just, is satisfying. Oh, and once you upgrade so you can do like the swing and then the pound and then you punch the shield as hard as you can and it just sends a shockwave. Which yeah. that leads me perfectly into the next thing I want to talk about, which is gameplay. So I really love this combat system. I really love everything about this game and I will try not to just ramble um try not to cry i will try not to cry (laughs) but um from a gameplay perspective this is some of the my favorite game design i've seen in a while because it's it's the spoken wheel style of gameplay design of level design which i really love um where you have your hub area but then you go into these different things and it's segmented really well and the segments Mm -hmm. are usually paced really well this afternoon i played through i had literally gotten back from alfheim i had um played through a couple of the early side quests where you go to like find the alchemist ring or go to find this old warehouse of treasures. And then today I had like an hour and a half before I had to go do something else. So I sat down and I played through the part where you go through the mountain mine and fight the dragon. Mm -hmm. And that was probably an hour and a half. It was a good hour and a half though. You had this very specific section, very cut out. I played it, had a great time, complete experience. I'm done. When I pick it back up, I will be literally minutes after that um so the segmentation was nice and that combat system my goodness we talked about it a little bit earlier but the stance switching the fact that it starts you off with only so many moves so you learn those and then slowly you realize oh i can upgrade and add new things and it's never overwhelming you're not trying to memorize 14 different things at once you're like oh hang on that would be interesting oh yeah that'd be cool and so you're trying to learn these new things that you just bought i remember i had been favoring my axe for like quite a while and then I saw these really cool moves you can unlock with the bare hand and shield. And so I start purchasing them. And then I start using that more because I've now invested some stuff into that. And you realize, oh, wow, there's actually a lot I can do with this as well. I really appreciated how flawlessly they integrated the Blades of Chaos, too. Oh, yeah. Because I was really worried when you went to find them that you were just going to ditch the axe. Oh, Because yeah. I had fallen in love with the axe oh, no. and the, yeah, the there, mechanics. It got to the point where I was really excited to see, because even though I didn't play the old games. I'm like, I had that same feeling. When he pulls them out, I was like, oh, shit, here we yeah. go. Oh, yeah. yeah no, it was, And it was awesome to just wreck stuff with the Blades of Chaos for the yeah. first time, but I had the same thing. They like, were after. so much better for crowd control. Oh, yeah. And when you're fighting the hell walkers, too, it's incredibly useful. Oh, yeah. But I had that same thing where I'm like, Okay, but the axe is literally one of the most fun weapons I've ever played. Yeah. Just the fact that there's an entire button on your controller that's only job is to call the axe back to you, and it was satisfying every time. Yes, definitely. Oh. I'm not going to lie. I think I probably used the Blades of Chaos more and maybe enjoyed them more than the axe, just a smidge, but they did a good job with yeah. the axe. They were The Blades were great if you just wanted to like stand in a spot and not move and like slaughter everything mm-hmm. so while we're talking about combat did either of you guys fight valkyries i no, fought two of them not yet i see i didn't know really that they were there when i did my first playthrough and then i lost all my save progress and so i had to start with my new playthrough from the beginning mm. 
So I will keep an eye out. You can't even access them until you get Yeah, you have to go like find them on purpose. You don't just trip across one. Yeah. You have to have that pick that opens the Jotun doors. Yeah, which I don't have in this playthrough yet. But uh, like you were saying with switching stances and, and all that, like when you fight the Valkyries, especially some of the more difficult ones, you're literally okay, I'm going to use my axe now. Okay, now I'm going to use this special ability. Okay, it's on cooldown. Switch to the blades. Fight with the blades. Use this one. Now it's on cooldown. Okay, switch to fist. Fight with fist. All right, use yeah. this. All right, it's on cooldown. All right, the axe cooldown is done. Let me switch back to yeah, the no. axe. Go ahead and, and I did bust mention. out this cooldown. Oh, use Atreus' special real it quick. It kind of reminded me of raiding in World of Warcraft. Literally, yeah, it's it's that but more active because you're dodging and jumping. Yeah, there's like you have to time your moves. You have to mitigate certain you're things. You're literally, you're managing cooldowns. Yeah, managing cooldowns. Potions and your revive. Mm-hmm. All while making like sure that. Atreus is nonstop shooting arrows because if he's not, you're oh, yeah. wasting damage. Arrows and fail. his special comes into play too. I always mm-hmm. use the deer one. I use the wolves. That was. Oh, wolves are nice. I think it was the wolves actually. Yeah. But um, yeah, no, and I'm glad you brought up the runic special moves. The I love that there's a light and heavy one for both sets because that. Yes. Again, going back to one of my favorite things about this combat system is the options you have. You all, you already have so many options for which runics to equip. Mm-hmm. But then just the fact that they can give you so much more crowd control. I was having some, um, in one of the side quests recently, I was having some trouble with uh, a chamber full of wolves. Because mm-hmm. you just, you'd have like three on you the second you walked in. And then they'd get reinforcements. And I'd just get swarmed. And it was a side quest I wasn't quite leveled up for yet. Right, so right. a couple of them could take me out in a single hit. Uh, so I kept dying, kept dying, kept dying. So finally I made sure I had a runic attack that would freeze a wave of them. And then, while they were normally like damaged sponges that you'd have to whittle on forever, if they're frozen, you could one hit them. Yeah, if they're frozen, you could use the cleave attack, which is usually too slow to get them because they're jumpy, Mm -hmm. and it just (laughs) takes them out instantaneously. So I would just free. I froze the first wave, systematically cleaved all of them until they were dead, and then waited for the second wave to show up, and then used the other runic attack to freeze the rest of them and then take them out. Yeah, it was just this was after trying like four or five times in other methods of like, okay, let me crowd control over here. Let me use, cause I had a couple, I had a couple acts, um, skills unlocked to where you can do some light crowd control with the throwing and the catching, right, and the right, switch right. stance and the throw. Um, but it was just, they were too much and they'd swarm me. See, if I, I probably would have just waited and come back to it, but I appreciate I your stubborn. determination. Yeah. I was telling Braden the other day, do you remember the realm that's like all fire. Oh yeah, uh, the, the, the Mus- optional one, Muselheim. Mus- Niflheim. Mu- oh, Muselheim. Yeah, the shadow, the yeah, fog one. Yeah. So that whole realm is just it's literally a- combat challenges, mm-hmm. and at the end is a Valkyrie. And so I did that whole thing, and that's one of the hardest Valkyries. I don't think I beat her, but that's a great place to kind of hone your combat skills because every it's not just defeat these enemies and these waves it's you know make sure this doesn't happen or make sure that doesn't happen or make sure you kill these enemies first or it it has all Mm -hmm. these like specific objectives to it and i I played that after i beat the game and that's something we'll get into a little bit later my my experience with the game overall but i enjoyed it and it definitely pushed my combat skills which helped when i actually it wasn't my first valkyrie but i found that valkyrie got my ass handed to me a couple times and then went back and tried a couple others. But after playing through that like gauntlet of, of combat, 
that helped me learn how to mm-hmm. manage my skills a little better for the easier Valkyries. Definitely, like, I feel like God of War is the perfect example of uh, you can learn the combat system pretty quickly, but it takes time to master, master it. Definitely. Because yeah. yeah. you're also dealing with stuff like, you mentioned before the difference between the light axe throw and the heavy axe throw. Knowing which times to use which, knowing... Okay, I can get the light throw out faster, but if I connect the heavy one right now, I take that guy out instantly and I don't have to worry about him anymore. Mm-hmm. It's that sort of <clears throat> learning which things are good to use in which case. So while we're on the topic of um, combat, what was the most, as in terms of like not necessarily expectations, but after the fight was over, which boss did you find to be the most engaging and fun, and which boss did you think was the least engaging and the most disappointing? Um, My most disappointing boss by far was the one at the end of Hell when you're going to get the the thing's heart that you need to be able to cure your son, uh-huh. uh, Atreus. Because you, there's this giant crow demon thing in the background. It's this huge, imposing figure. You're like, oh, we're about to have an insane boss yeah, fight. Yeah, never does. Anything. And then it's like, fight this giant with different colored skin. And you're like, oh, okay. There's yeah. an interest, interesting story about the giants. They were supposed to be bosses, and but they just they ran out of time and and you money. mean like the crow? No, the, I mean the, like the, the giants. giants. They the were sp- they were supposed to be more impressive. Oh, okay. But they ended up just kind of toning them down and making them what they were because. You mean a bunch of corpses? <laughs> that was all they could really deal with. <laughs> yeah. As far as satisfying boss fights, I really enjoyed the dragon. That one was one of the few boss fights that felt like a true RPG, like big, you're fighting this huge creature. And you I would are... have to say for the dragon, I felt that was the most quick timey. It had the most, yeah, it had fight. the most, um, I don't know what word to use, like not tactics, but. I guess it was definitely, I don't know what word to use, but there was lots of like run here, grab this thing, time that, throw this, make sure this blows up. Classic. Yeah, it felt like an old Legend of Zelda boss fight. That's, I would say that the first boss fight with the stranger, which you end up learning who he is later. Yeah. Well, it's a spoiler cast, you can say. Right. But I can't remember it. Oh, (laughs) Baldur. Yeah. It's been a long time since I played the game. (laughs) I didn't even know Baldur was a Greek god until. I played or a Greek god, a Norse god until I played the game. Yeah, I was like, either. did they like? I know that they're doing Norse mythology, so maybe it's just one I haven't heard of. I definitely didn't know that he was a son of Odin. Oh, I thought it was just Thor and Loki, but that's my ignorance stemming from Marvel movies. Really I would is. say that that fight, just because it's uh, so quick and it's so early and it's so intense, and you're just like, okay, mm-hmm. yeah, no, I the, see what we're really, yeah, that one was the first that, Balder fight. Yeah, that yeah, was very. Yeah. That was probably one of the more satisfying fights. As far as least satisfying, I don't know. But definitely once you fight the Valkyries, yeah. a lot of other stuff kind of pales. Like those those take everything you've learned throughout your career as Kratos mm-hmm. and make you put it to work in the most efficient way possible. Yeah, with like no room for error at all. Pretty much no. Like Yeah, no. And uh my least satisfying fight i don't know like he said the the most of them are fine um i really enjoyed the dragon like you said that mm-hmm. that one that one's pretty good i just beat that one again and 
if there is a sequence that doesn't make you feel more like the god of war than when you actually finish the thing off and land and the jaws just fall around you and you're like yeah but would you agree that that's probably the most like the the most gamey fight gamey and quick timey fight yeah well it's not quick it's more ps2 it's like pattern memorization and da 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 well especially once you get it out like oh yeah on the mountain when you're in like the mine shaft and stuff and you're that's that's spectacle incarnate that's great and then but yeah, that's like you said, that's relatively like not 100 percent quick timing but it's like it's semi on rails like there's not much yeah you're it's, not really fighting it's like it. kill these ads push the thing off the wall kill these ads push the thing off the wall but yeah it, it's definitely it's one of those things that leans more into the visuals yeah right? but as, as opposed say, to the visuals that. are so spectacular throughout mm-hmm. that whole yeah. fight but no i'm i'm with you my favorite fight in the game and the follow-up fights with him are good but my favorite fight in the game is the first balder fight just because it's it's where yeah. you understand oh this is the level at which this game can operate like yeah and i think the final fight with him is really really good where where once freya and the re- like the reanimated giant get involved mm-hmm. you get some spectacular stuff there um the Moki and Modi fights, Thor's sons, they're mm-hmm. they're pretty great. They're they're pretty standard, but Yeah, like, I didn't really care for that one too much. That could be that one had some on gamey list. elements too, like yeah, with the, the, the when they're in the clouds and you just yeah, have to wait part, for them that to part rush. I you. didn't care for, but like yeah. the actual the actual fights <clears throat> with them were pretty fun. I I enjoyed um yeah, the best part is when Atreus loses his shit, though. Just wow, you're saying it wrong, too. Yeah, Atreus. I mean, it's because of him. <laughs> I hear him say it, and I haven't played the game so in a while. So for those who haven't heard all of our other conversations, Atreus. I'm really bad at saying Atreus's you know, given name. Because I've got Atrium in my mind Yeah, now, no, I don't know why. Yeah. I have this horrible thing with mispronouncing most video game things. I pronounced the Dekus from Zelda as Dooku for like... Well, we, yeah, years. we just did that as a kid for yeah, some reason. I still, still with... I Probably because to. of... Star Wars. Well, I maybe, mean, but also uh, Epona from Zelda. I also it was Epiona. Yeah, for some weird I reason. I don't know yeah, why I added an I extra syllable. That. But um and an I still, H. <laughs> I still will be like, oh yeah, my horse Epiona. I think in Breath of the Wild, I literally named one of my horses Epiona and added the extra syllable. Yeah, so you like, have to validation. Yeah. Um. But no, it was also really fun. You talked about not knowing who Balder was. I, like I said, Norse mythology is my rustiest. Well, okay, actually, you could probably go into like Egyptian or Hindu mythology before I'm like, I don't know. So what I'm definitely about. Hindi would be. Yeah, but I have um, like no knowledge. Uh, I, I, I do. I am actually fairly well aware of who Baldur is, partially because, speaking of Marvel Comics, Walt Simonson wrote a great. Um, because he said he didn't know because of Marvel Comics. Walt Simonson, the definitive Well, Marvel Thor. movies. <laughs> okay. I'm, I'm a casual now. No, but um, the definitive Thor run Walt <laughs> Simonson mm-hmm. wrote in the 80s. It was very a mix of sci-fi and Norse mythology fantasy. Right. Absolutely excellent. Um, Balder was a major player there. But Balder, in most, most of the time, has been portrayed as very, very heroic, like even yes. more so than Thor. So when, when they showed up and it's like, who's this guy? And they're like, he was a... He was, when um kratos, well, you, kratos asks like is there a god who can't feel pain he's like uh that'd probably be balder i'm like all right okay what are, what are we doing here god of war because now we're now we're into something different yeah god of war's like biggest hook though is that it takes these kind of like idolized mythological beings the gods and it changes the perspective on them like 180 degrees so mm-hmm. these well-loved like heroic you know pantheon of gods 
but you see them in like a gritty, realistic way and realize that they're just as corrupt as people are or right. worse. Which, which the Norse was already pretty like, um, by the way, book recommendation for any of you viewers out there. Very simple, very good to read. If you enjoyed the game God of War, read this Norse mythology by Neil Gaiman. It's just like a very succinct collection of short stories about the Norse gods and it gives you a pretty good beginning middle and end of the whole thing yeah while we're leaning into mythology i will say that that was another thing i did after i beat the game and while i was playing it too i would see something and vaguely recognize it like oh what's that giant's name or something like that and then i would look it up online and spend like an hour reading mythology and the stories and all that kind of stuff it's fascinating stuff and the whole uh, mistletoe Yes, that was clever. It was I, very clever. Yeah. Because in the actual Norse mythology, it's the there's one thing that Baldur's weak to, and it's mistletoe, mistletoe, because Loki transforms himself into a giant. Freya shows up and says, I need you to promise that this thing can't hurt him. And he's like, eh, nah. Yeah, no. and mistletoe it's also, can hurt him. Yeah, it's also great because... I don't know, the implications at the end of this game are really... If you know your Norse mythology, you're like, oh, Baldur died by weird. mistletoe. Oh boy, we're 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 in for something. Yeah, and the fact that I mean it's spoiler cast, so I'm not worried yeah. about spoilers. But the fact that Atreus is Loki, mm-hmm. which was really clever because they only say Kratos's wife's name in part, like it's Faye. Yeah, but and her full, her name, full name, is, name is Lao Faye. Yeah, which is the, the giantess who yeah, yeah is Loki's mother. But the timeline, I know that Yormander, however you say his name, the world eater, the giant snake, is Loki's son. And he's sent back in time. I know that because he is wrapped around the world throughout its, you know, right, while the world exists. The, the, the thing is, one day Thor and Jormander will get in such a fight. This is, this is it's why Ragnarok. I love mythology. Yeah. And Thor will hit the world serpent so hard that it gets thrown backwards back in, in time. time. Yeah. So he, he exists and before he was born. There are some allusions to that in this game and how... You know, they always say, oh, yeah, he really hates Thor. And, like, mm-hmm. when, you know, the first or second time, I think it's the first time that you use Mimir to talk to the, the world eater, he just is like, hold on a sec, let me destroy the statue of Thor because mm-hmm. I just hate him that much, you know? And um, yeah. so there are allusions to that fight and just yeah. their their rivalry. And Mimir is great because he's also just a walking textbook of Norse mytholo- mythological... Yes, that doesn't feel like frustrating to interact with or um like forced in any yeah. way mimir's actually hands down one of my favorite parts of the game yeah he's, just he's so like bad. if you took the look hey listen from legend of zelda and made it tolerable <laughs> yeah yeah but uh, yeah. and also just gave you a bunch of interesting in- information because yeah y- anytime you open up like a a um a fresco or whatever the like the lore trifold things mm-hmm. you know He's just like here. Let me tell you the entire story behind this. Yeah. Or when you're just paddling on the on the lake, trying yeah. to get to the next section, and it feels incredibly natural because you know it's generally Atreus being like, "Hey, Mimir, what does that mean?" You know. Yeah, it's they're not just, just telling stories. Yeah, they're just conversating, and you're there to hear it. You know. Which also, as much as I love that, I do love the early, the first few times you get on the boat before you get Mimir, and Kratos is just very badly trying to tell yes. Atre- Atreus stories. <laughs> I had to catch myself. I don't think. Uh, the first time we did the whole, like, there was a tortoise and a hare who had a competition of strength. The hare was ill-disciplined and failed while the tortoise was disciplined and succeeded. And Atreus is just like, okay, okay yeah, all right. <laughs> you need to go go back to storytelling yeah. school. So speaking yeah. of Atreus, 
Yeah. How did you guys think of how he fit into combat? I once I figured out how to use him right, I enjoyed it a lot. Yeah, at first I was like, oh god, we're doing this. But then yeah. once you really like he's just another weapon. Yeah, he's like he's, he's another an, tool. You don't have to worry about him dying, which is nice. Yeah, and it, he's really handy. So like in combat, he'll like do a chokehold on one of the things and then you can use that to start up a cleave. Mm-hmm. And then have him shoot like you press the square while your cleave's charging. So he jumps off, shoots them, does some more damage, and then you cleave into them. Yeah. My my general tactic is I I put him in the ranger outfit and just like buff the hell out of his ranged abilities and I would just spam X while doing other combat stuff or square <laughs> while doing combat stuff. Yeah. No it's the Microsoft in me there. Yeah. I, I, I usually had him get health stones for me because I'm usually yes. right yeah. in the middle health. right in the middle of a fray and losing health fast. Health so. and then just having him have specialty arrows that you were able to spam. Yeah. I pretty much once I got unlocked the like electric arrows, mm-hmm. I put as many points into the electric arrows as I could. I was going to say, I think I used electric. And then that's all I did. I would just use him to chain stun things. And while they were, I would just beat the hell out of them with the axe or the blades of chaos. And then yeah, his specialty was. Speaking of the blades of chaos, did you unlock the path? This was my favorite way to use them because they're great at crowd control. But if you need to just trash something where you swing them once, you change stances, and then you just stand there and can wail short range with the blades because that was that was my favorite i didn't use that i liked using the blades for range stuff yeah me for, too. They if were... there was someone far away and atreus was busy or whatever i could just whoosh, throw it out i liked using them. them for crowd control so like if yeah, there was three exactly. or four enemies at once or whatever or or like you're saying if it's a strong enemy and i wanted to hit it far away yeah i use the blades my my usual thing especially when fighting like hell walkers or things that were prone to fire damage is I would throw the ax into them and just leave it there and mm-hmm. switch to the blades and start wailing. And then towards the end of the fight, I call the ax back to do more damage and then switch back to the blades and just start. So that was kind of my general. So is there anything else specifically on gameplay that you just have to get out of your system that you need to tell the people? Um, I enjoyed the one shot aspect of it and the way they hid loading screens. It didn't feel like when you were forced to that, crawl That is holes. gameplay, but I would also say that, that, that... That's under aesthetic? I mean, yeah, and maybe critical critical play, praise, which we'll get to, but yeah, yeah we're definitely going to touch on that. Oh, because I've heard some criticism of the one, the Birdman effect. I don't know if this I don't know how you could criticize gameplay, that. but... Oh, I talked to a guy while I was in Florida. I was talking to this guy, and he was like, yeah, that game's overrated, and I think the whole one-shot thing is like just a tacky way to avoid loading screen. He was just being contrarian, like yeah, was kind of being I've heard a joke some more about substantial, it. I disagree with the more substantial, but I've heard more substantial criticism yeah, but, as well. <clears throat> no, what I meant to say was, I and I really enjoyed how all of the progress in this game is gated behind like actual events and mm-hmm. not just a X over an ability in a, a menu, you know? Yeah. It's like, oh, this thing happened in the game which led to this cascading effect and now you have access to this and you can use it to your advantage. Oh, case yeah. in point level design, game yeah, design. Case yeah. in point, every time the lake lowered, you know, it's like, oh well this the snake just had to fight a, a reanimated giant and got the shit kicked out of it. So it's gonna go relax over here now and now the lake is lower. You know, mm-hmm. you don't it's not just this weird arbitrary like now the lake's lowered and you can do more stuff. I really appreciated that. It helped with the immersion 
and that that's the same thing as the one shot camera for me like the one scene the fact that it's all like everything's tied together that the whole game from start to finish was designed with a purpose. Mm-hmm. Yes. And that, that whole, th- I mean, from the time Kratos chops down the tree until the little post credit scene with Thor's hammer, like it's just one, it's, it's, it's meant to be a story of no from trees. here, from there. Yeah. Like just there to the top of the mountain in another realm, but to the top of the mountain yeah. and back down. And then we'll Plus, see what's next. Namir was the perfect vehicle for that, design choice because when you're walking through the world tree branches or you're on the boat or whatever you know there's mimir and atreus just bullshitting about whatever and it's which is good because kratos doesn't care and that was my favorite part about his character which we'll we'll, i'm sure we'll get into yeah kratos could have spent that entire game in dead silence and he would have been very happy happy. he almost did yeah pretty much he was kind of like um mad max in fury road you know he has like he doesn't really speak. But it's Matt Max like, in uh-huh. most of the movies except for the first one. It's yeah. Just, it's, he just he doesn't talk. So I guess we're we're kind of pushing into it a little bit, but let's talk about... Give us a segue. Let's talk about the story. Okay. Let's talk about the father-son. Let's talk about the mythology, which we've touched on. But let's talk about the story this game was trying to tell, the relationships it was trying to convey, and how it impacted us or did it or because a lot of the praise this game got as you know the reason it was a lot of sites game of the year etc was for the story for the father-son thing for the relatability Mm -hmm. so so where do we all fall on one thing i want to say is i think it it beautifully highlights the classical difference in like a mother and father and the way they interact with their children, it really highlights the mother-son dynamic and the father-son dynamic and the complete difference in parenting philosophy that they tend to have. And you can see the difference unfold throughout the game because Atreus starts as this kind of um, unsure of himself, I guess weak, you could say. You know, he's very reliant on Kratos in many ways, emotionally and physically and all of those things. And you see their relationship mature and develop as Atreus becomes more of a man and he becomes more confident in his abilities and he learns new things. And Kratos, as a father, is willing to loosen his his right. leash on him throughout well, the game and he proves himself. He says, okay, now, you know, now that you've proven yourself, I trust you with these things. And then at the very end of the game, that last Balder fight, Atreus is an equal to Kratos through that fight. He oh. is doing the most insane shit, flips, doing arrow shots as they're falling in the sky. That was so cool. And then you look at Freya and Baldur's dynamic and how completely different that is. Freya is a, a mama bear, but she's overbearing. She's overprotective. She doesn't let Baldur do what he needs to do. And he, she's incredibly suffocating. And I think it's fair to that. Like, it's fair to her as a mother. A lot of mothers are like that. They don't want their baby, especially a boy, to be hurt. And they don't want him to have to go out and experience the bad things well, see, I had a completely different read. I mean, it, it's it's not just about Atreus proving himself to Kratos. It's Kratos learning how to not be the world's biggest a-hole as a father. Like, the, the, hook of the, the contrast to the game to me, the drama is it, is Kratos is probably the one person who should not be a dad. Well, and I'm, I'm more pointing out the 
the contrast between the two parenting styles. That's I, true, I but I don't think you. that's I don't think that's archetypical debt because Kratos has a lot to learn throughout the game as well. Because oh, at first he's very withholding. He's very I you figure it out on your own. I don't I don't need to tell you how to do anything. It's kind of I feel like he's partially like figure it out on your own, but also like the whole scene where he goes to like put his hand on Atreus's back and then pulls away. It's like he, he doesn't, doesn't know, how. know. Yeah, yeah. He, no, that's my yeah. point. The the drama in this he's came learning from was like the one guy who should not be a parent. Surprise! He has a child who now he has to take care of by himself, and he's like, yeah. I don't know how to do this. But rather than admit that I don't know how to do this, he's Kratos. He, well, he's, and, yeah, he's like and coming up from yeah. arguably we'll the see. most machismo culture that has ever existed <laughs> as a Spartan. You know, yeah, like no. if you're weak, you die. Like you know, their parenting style was: here's a stick, go beat up that other kid, and if you lose, you get to be thrown. And Loki off a cliff. as a character was never the strong one. No, no, he's all he about witticism. Wit. Yeah, yeah, which is funny because you see Kratos start to teach him that, like you see him teach him, like use your head. Fight like this, think around mm-hmm. what they're trying, you know, yeah. outthink your opponent. So literally Kratos is, this is also a really clever, okay, from the mythology standpoint. In, okay, so in the Marvel stuff, which everyone's most familiar with, Loki is an adopted son of Odin. Mm-hmm. In the original Norse mythology, that's not necessarily the case. In fact, a couple different texts have been like, Loki is always there. No one knows why. Like, no one is actually sure why yeah. Odin keeps letting Loki. He's not related to anyone. No. He's just... He's just the trickster. He's just there. Who's and, there? like, even, like, in some of the old, like, Edith Hamilton's mythology, which is a... It's mostly about Greek mythology, but it has a chapter on Norse. It's just like, yes, Loki is a trickster god. We don't actually know what he was doing there all the time. Like, he's... Like, in the old stories, he's always at Odin's banquets or at the parties or hanging out with Thor. Yeah, we, we know why. We either. know that he's heavily involved with the um, Asgardian yeah, the, like, society, I guess. Yeah. And he's also... He's the son of a giantess, yeah. La Fay. Who's his father? Okay, this is actually really interesting. Do we, I was doing I, some research on this the other day. Um... I want to say his father. I can't remember though. His father's giant name, and I can't remember the exact, was something like the Heavy Striker. Like huh. it was a giant. Like, yeah. Well, well, it was a giant who was known for like hitting really hard. Mm-hmm. So, in the in the very end tapestry thing, I believe there's some text someone translated that actually lists that as Kratos's giant name. Hmm. Um, so yeah, the, it it was really it was really clever the length to which they went through um to incorporate the various aspects of Norse mythology up to and including hey, here's Loki, hey, here's why he might like he accidentally got entangled into mm-hmm. the comings and goings of the Aesir. Yeah, they did a really good job of tying it into their narrative and yeah. their characters. Yeah. yeah, for sure. Definitely. Um so if you had to pick like just say like a top level just a sentence if you described how and why did this game impact you or did it yes it very much did and it was because watching someone who was bad at emotions learning how to do that like just the you talked about the bit where he tries to reach and Mm -hmm. pat him and he just grabs the knife what's funny is how the scene immediately before that is kratos showing one of the few like 
good parenting things he does early in the game, which is when Atreus can't bring himself to kill the put to put the deer out of its misery, mm-hmm. and he just puts his hand on top and helps him through it. Like that's he that was Kratos at a moment of understanding. Like he needs to be able to do this. He's not ready yet, but I have to help him go through it. And then immediately afterward, it's like this awkward like I don't I don't know how to. Do we need to talk now? So here's for, your knife back. for you, it's more like someone who's bad at expressing expressing their emotions. Right. It's it's about mm-hmm. yeah, and it's a and think about what he has to deal with with Atreus, who becomes quite lippy oh, and yeah. like quite f- mindful and willful and everything. And Kratos isn't used to that. He's used yeah. to having soldiers under his command. You're well, like, you do this or die. I also. I picked up on the, it's a matter of perspective too, because from Kratos's perspective, there is a lot of emotion. He mm-hmm. feels a lot of things oh, about yeah. Atreus. He loves Atreus and he, he fights so hard to show the smallest amount of it. But then when he realizes that Atreus doesn't see it and starts acting lippy and starts acting like a turd preteen, like mm-hmm. he is, it I don't know, it just kind of highlighted to me that like, yes, you can have a lot of emotion towards something, but if you can't find out a way to express it, then you may as well not have the emotion because the other person is not. Well, yeah, there's a great bit in what I played today where they're going up the mine shaft and um the right before you fight the dragon and Kratos just barks at Atreus to like watch his footing be more careful because they're going up this thing and it's really shaky and yada yada and atreus is just like you worry a lot for someone so strong and it's that little peak that atreus doesn't actually realize he's hit where it's like he's not worried about him he's fairly confident he yeah. he's worried about you like yeah. the scariest thing to him is losing you yeah but it's not something that kratos actually knows how to communicate that into words so what he does is just like don't die he defaults to his spartan yeah general kind of yeah yeah which is also really touching at the very end when he finally tells a good story and like why why the name atreus and he tells him the story of the atreus he's named after and it's just Mm -hmm. like it's actually a really great father-son bonding moment kratos is a very emotionally mature well maybe not mature in this conveying of emotion but he's very emotionally developed and he feels all the human emotions. He just learned to how to express to them. cut them off to suppress them. And to yeah, because he, you know, he's been through a lot of shit. No, that's true. <laughs> his this life is sucked. His the um, Lao Fei when she passed away. That that's now the second wife he's lost. Um, yeah, the first one which he murdered, murdered by his own by hands accident. after yeah. being you know tricked by the gods. It's, yeah. Which would also explain why he's got some legitimate beef with with the entire Greek pantheon. Also, yeah, speaking of Ares. emotions, how about that scene when he goes to get the Blades of Chaos? Because that that's yeah, and the the like ghost of Athena is yeah, and yeah that that was, and we'll get into it in my next discussion topic. But that was probably like the big turning point in the game for me, like where it really like clicked mm-hmm. was when he went back for the blades and all that happened. And I was like, Oh shit, here we go. You know? And especially cause that's the one, like you see him worried and you see him sad, but like that's the one bit in the game where you see him break just a little bit when she's like, you're a monster. And he's like, I know. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That, that part for me, that kind of made the, like before that I was just playing the game and I was enjoying it, and I was like, "All right, this is cool. I'm starting to get it. I appreciate it for what it is. You know, I I get why people loved it so much." But then when that happened, it was kind of like, 
all right, I'm in. Like, yeah, I'm you're invested. I'm I'm down it, for this. I that feel scene it. had a twofold impact for me because I had watched Raising Kratos beforehand, and they highlighted that in the mocap in the in the um, behind the mm, scenes, mm-hmm. and you get to see Christopher Judge <clears throat> acting that out and how impacted he was by it. And, you know, he's shedding tears as he's doing that, and then you watch it in the game. You're like, and, oh, okay, and okay. it yeah, like it really. It, it added a another layer to it for me when I was seeing it for the first time in the game. Definitely. Yeah, yeah that was it's a good game. It was. And I just, <laughs> yeah, no, the, and also the interplay between all the other characters. And it, it is really this game about families and how they mm-hmm. fall apart and how they come together. Well, you also see this... that through the Dwarven brothers, how they, they've like grown apart. Yeah. And then slowly, there's the Dwarven there. Brothers, and the one just is like you when you see blood for some reason. He's just like, oh, oh god, oh yeah. <laughs> there's the Dwarven Brothers. There's Kratos and Atreus. There's Freya, Freya and, Baldur. and Baldur. And then there's there's allusions, though it's not as explicit. Although there is Modi and Magni. And then there are the allusions to the like greater Aesir family with Odin and Thor and all of them. But you remember when you were talking about the game, you were, you were what maybe I don't know halfway through with it, and you were talking about how like you're gonna have to go kick Thor's ass and all this stuff. And I was mm-hmm. like, you'll be surprised how local, yeah, the story. I was expecting a trip to Asgard. Like the there's end. a it's a very small cast of main characters yeah, that I you was... interact with, and it's all tied to like those what. Six to ten yeah, no. characters. This is the other thing that really caught me off guard, both how small and how big the game is. Because I did not know when I started the game that you could go to other realms. So they're like, yeah, we're just going to head over to the Bifrost and go to Alfheim. I'm like, mm-hmm. Whoa. Stop, stop for a second, what? And then when you get to the Bifrost and you look at all the other realms, and only out of the nine realms of um, Norse mythology, you only can't go to three of them, which are Asgard, obviously, and then I want to say Muselheim and Svartalheim? You can go yeah. to Muselheim. That's okay, the fire Muselheim. one. So Svartalheim and whatever, there's one more you can't Muselheim go. is also where the, um, I can't remember his name. but Surter. Yeah, Surter. Surter the fire demon. Yeah. yeah. Which, yeah. Which I apparently in the, like, from the poetic Edda, um, mm. which is like the root of Norse mythology, he was actually a giant. He was a yoke fire giant. Yeah, yeah. Well, then then who? Yeah, became like a magical fire and giant. will cause the. Yeah, no, that's, that's also that's why he's got so much beef with Asgard and wants to destroy it is because he's like you guys screwed over my people. Yeah, and the Walt, the famous Walt Simonson Thor comics I keep talking about, like Surger is a huge part of that, and it's one of mm-hmm. the greatest like buildups because like one page every issue for like twelve issues is just dedicated to Surtur forging a giant sword out of a dying star and every time he hits the hammer to the anvil it just shout like it just the sound effect of doom echoes throughout the galaxy you're like oh this is a big deal and then finally Mm -hmm. he finishes and shows up and just wrecks asgard it's great Mm -hmm. um but yeah so there's only like a couple but you do get to go to not just alfheim but also helheim and for a briefest of seconds jotunheim so it's like this big cosmic scale but like you said you never even the cast is small. The cast is small. You never actually even find out really what Odin was after, other than wanting to see Kratos. Like he wants, mm-hmm. he wants something with Kratos. Yeah, he knows there's a foreign body. In yeah, his, and he wants to his sphere of influence, and he but, wants to bring him in. Because you remember, Balder wasn't sent to like kill him. He was sent to bring him to Odin. Well, Balder was sent to kill the last giant, which he thought 
he thought Kratos was a giant. That's why at the beginning he's he goes, like, I, you're I you'd be sm- yeah, I thought you'd be bigger because you're carrying Lofay's ashes and you've right. come to find out later that she was a giant. And so he is sensing her Jotun whatever through the ashes, but he thinks that you are the giant. And that's why he's so hostile to you. I think if he just knew you were a god from another realm and didn't think that you were a giant, he probably wouldn't have been so like just bloodlust wanting to beat your ass anytime he sees you well yeah but uh, i i also you there's that aspect but we also just don't know what odin's doing really because he's being weird well like, odin is of, weird like i know memory's whole thing is like odin has a fetish for knowledge and he yeah. is incredibly ruthless in stealing other people's knowledge and mm-hmm. making sure he's the only one with that knowledge because he's so afraid of ragnarok Right, that he wants any leg up he can have, which is you know ironically like we talked about what ends up causing the Ragnarok is starting by the end of the game because mm-hmm. the um I can't remember who it was one of the dwarves even makes a comment after yeah, you come the back Fimble from winter or whatever yeah, yeah is starting early and the it's three like, summers long winter which yeah. is the first stage of Ragnarok yeah yeah but um speaking of how small and you're like you thought you were gonna go fight Thor literally the scene where you go get the blades of chaos and you're rowing down the river and there's a lightning strike I'm like. Because one of the things that happened immediately before um, Atreus got hurt was you, he killed the other one of Thor's yeah, you, sons. You killed Magni and so right. And then, so oh, I'm right, sitting here thinking, Magni. like, is their dad coming home to reckon? Like, what's like? I didn't know it was going to happen, but like you said, Thor doesn't show up until that post-credit stinger. Mm-hmm. So also, Mjolnir is a lot smaller than I thought it would be. Well, the whole shtick of Mjolnir has always been it's kind of small. It was supposed to be a two-handed warhammer, and then they broke the the handle, and so only had enough steel to make the one like yeah. little short thing. So, yeah, they definitely they the not that the story of this game doesn't have impact, but they definitely kept it like local and they and kept it set focused. it up for like a grand epic showdown. Yeah, I think they're in the setting sequel. up for another trilogy. And I kind of hope because he said he has the next like he, he says he has enough ideas for another five God of Wars. Like he also said that if they were to ma- they started kicking around DLC ideas, but it always ended up too big. Mm-hmm. And so they didn't do any DLC and they're just going to put it all into the another game. game. Yeah. I wouldn't mind if they because this is a By grand him, epic story. Corey Barlog. Yeah. But yes. I wouldn't mind if they um they wrapped up Norse mythology in the next one. Cause I think they could, maybe it'd be better as three, but they think they could do. I think moved on. To, yeah. I think the next one would be good. And then like, don't want a hobbit problem. Cause they're already making allusions to Egypt, aren't they? they I heard that they they're... actually, there's a little section later when you get inside tears temple a little bit more. Mm-hmm. Um, there's a section where, cause Tyr was the Norse God of war. This was another fascinating thing. Cause Tyr is very often left out of most Norse, Tellings, even the Norse mythology book by Gaiman I mentioned earlier, mm-hmm. um, only mentions Tyr like once. Um, but so you, Tyr was the Norse god of war and battle. So you see in Tyr's temple references to other gods of war across different pantheons. Mm-hmm. So you see Kratos's Omega symbol, mm-hmm. but you also see a symbol. Yeah, you see the Egyptian eye with you the, see the Egyptian eye. It was. You yeah. also see a Celtic war symbol and mm-hmm. a. Um, Japanese God of War symbol. Ooh, the so, Japanese ones would be interesting because I know nothing about their... Yeah, no. So I, I think... I don't know if they would go right into that in this climate where we're about to get... You know, we just got um, Sekiro. 
we're getting Neo 2 soon, and then we're about to get Ghost of Tsushima. So we're getting a lot of Japan about soon. To... Next summer. Um, <laughs> There's no release date. It'll be next summer because the PS5 is coming out next fall. So they got like they've said it's going to be a PS4 game. So Did they good. say that was a PS4 game? Mm-hmm. And, mm. Okay. Are you sure they're not going to pull like? They a, probably will pull. Oh, it'll be cross platform. Cross platform, sure, but, but it's, yeah. so will Last of Us and uh, Death Stranding. Um, yeah, but, sure. But uh, hang on. Yeah, there's the plenty of different ways for them to go. I'm still really rooting for. I know it won't happen, but for him to tackle like. Kratos fights Cthulhu. Just give it to me. <laughs> that I don't know if that would happen. I think I don't know. Kratos as a character could last a lot longer, but they're also setting up for what seems like the end of his story. But then again, God of War three literally ends with Kratos killing himself, and yet here we are again. Yeah, he dies a lot and comes back. That's kind of like his, his whole shtick yeah because yeah. he dies in like every single game at, at some point or he goes to the afterlife or whatever yeah and, so i think that's kind of why i think and we I'm will not, get an end i'm not saying he's gonna die i'm just saying his story might come to an end and we'll get to pick up with loki or a could do like a batman beyond thing where he yeah i've passes the mantle yeah on. i've been seeing a lot of fan art and concept art on like an adult version of atreus and like his kind of combat style and what he would do. I think it would make for a great game it with him would. as a protagonist. I'm not sure that they will do that just because I'm pretty sure. Well, Kratos Barlog has said somewhere that he's like Kratos is the playable character. Yeah. And Kratos, Kratos is also like an extremely recognizable. He's a PlayStation icon at this yeah, point. He's yeah. a mascot. So it's an interesting balancing game. He's, they would have to play if they decided to move in that direction. This is also just a really, this is a point that I think will get brushed over in the discussion, but Kratos with a full beard looks so much better than Kratos yeah. with a little goatee from the Going, older games. I see my well, introduction see, to Kratos. very much like a decade time type, like in the early aughts, the little soul patch thing probably looked fine. But yeah, it wasn't. Now it's moved just on. Like, yeah. Now it's just like, oh my goodness, that is, it's like when, that is so early. It's a 2000s. culture shock thing, and it's also the that my first introduction to the character was in this game, and so I only saw him with the beard. And then going, <laughs> so when you go back, yeah, going back to learn about the character, I'm like, what is that disgusting thing on his chin? Like, oh, what a God. dork. This yeah, actually, yeah, terrible. no, that reminds me. I, ha- I have a friend who had never saying that. I mean, Caleb has a soul patch, but you know, we're not going to go into that. Mm-hmm. A soul patch, and he's got manicured eyebrows that are about an inch thick. He's also got that little like French mustache. Yeah, straightened hair down to his lower back. He's got shaved sides on his head with like a curly faux hawk on top. They're really playing with the format of a podcast. But (laughs) with also, it's a mullet because it has to go down to his lower back. But the top is like a curly faux hawk. Right, but the the sides are shaved. Yeah, it's like a shaved side mullet that goes down to his lower back. Do you know the only problem with the format of podcasts is that I can't do like a Ben Wyatt or Jim look into the camera and complete (laughs) and utter annoyance and disbelief thing. Yeah, this isn't the office. Um, But no, I I have on the note of like how weird the culture shock. have someone on hand just to do the slight zoom every time you do that. The slight culture shock. I have a friend who didn't see The Lion King growing up and so they finally watched it. I have a wife who didn't see The Lion King growing up. You have a wife who hasn't seen a lot of very important things. We just watched it recently. That's good. Okay, but the, The Lion King, so he went and watched it finally and he's like, Simba has very 90s hair. And I'm like, what are you talking about? It's a 90s movie. (laughs) Well, no, but it just never occurred. I'm just like, that's what lions look like, right? And then I looked at it again, you know, with the thought of like, does he have, oh my goodness, it is the most 90s lion mane you have ever seen. 
but you know, you grow up watching it and it just becomes a grain. Like, yeah. yeah, that's what Simba looks like. It was the norm. Or Pumbaa's mohawk that like totally looks like he was in like some sort of grunge band. Yeah. Um, when I was a young warthog. Very nice. Yeah. Um, <laughs> but yeah, no. So the, the, the beard, I just feel like it's really important to point out, like in terms of good design decisions to update the mascot who is Kratos kind of inadvertently has become the mascot for this generation, like of PS stuff. Just like at least one yeah, of the primary figures. I would figure say heads. him and Aloy. Yeah, I don't really know who else PlayStation has mascot well, wise to lean well, on. Well, Nathan Drake was it for PS3, and he had his. I mean, he's. At- I'd say he's still a PlayStation mascot in general, but like, yeah, like you said, this this, this generation. This generation. Let is- us not forget about Crash Bandicoot. Well, he's not PlayStation anymore. Yeah. No. He's Activision. He's on the Switch. But I, I actually own his and the Xbox. Game. I think. Yeah. Yeah, he's everywhere. Oh, yeah. Spyro's. But I mean, Switch. like, I've been holding out for the, the early PlayStation. Yeah, no, Crash was definitely there. Was early. he on PS2 or PS1? PlayStation One. I mean, he was on Both. PS2 as well. But yeah, yeah. The, the 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 games that everyone's like, those are the actual good Crash Bandicoot games made by Naughty Dog. I need to show you a video after this of someone who was incredibly drunk who did all of the audio for Crash Bandicoot just like with his mouth. While playing the I've game, I've seen that. It's yeah. hilarious. I'm Speaking of I'm awesome videos, God of War. <laughs> oh yeah, that's what we're talking about. Huh? It got a ton of critical praise. Mm-hmm. It, it got Game of the Year mm-hmm. from the Game Awards, right? right? Which I think was kind of unexpected. Like, yeah, most well, people well unexpected. I wouldn't say. I would say it was a a fifty fifty chance between yeah. it and Red Dead. Yeah. I honestly thought it would get like direction for God of War and then game for. But it kind of it also got Game of the Year from a bunch of sites like Kind of Funny, IGN, I think Game Informer, like a lot of just like the media sites gave it to it. But there was definitely contention from Red Dead Two, which was my personal Game of the Year. I mean, what just what a great year for gaming though. Oh, like 2018. That's one of those years that this is the most like obvious illustration of when there's competition, everybody benefits. Like. Mm Because, I mean, look at a lot of people were bummed that Spider-Man wasn't really in the running because it's like it was in the running, but it was like consistently fourth or fifth place. Yeah, it's like any other year. Spider-Man would be the clear favorite. But uh, this year, yeah, it came came out alongside Red Dead, God of War, uh, Monster Hunter World, Celeste. You remember 2011 when it was just like, hi, Arkham City, Portal 2, Skyrim. I mean, I do remember 2011 vaguely. <laughs> that was just, that was the last time but that I was so well, much like, in gaming. You were, well, like, 18 well, that year? So yeah. was I. Uh, yeah, we both turned 18. Uh, yeah, thank you. Yeah, but, really um, 11. Yeah. I yeah. had other things on my mind when yeah. I was 18. Yeah, no, that's fair. Um, okay. But I had... <laughs> I had no, I had other things. There have been there have been temple years in gaming. Like I feel like oh seven maybe. I don't know what came out, but just you're like, right because it was right after all the new consoles came out, so we were starting to get like the. Mm-hmm. the there are certain years that wasn't like, Modern Warfare oh seven. I th- possibly or was that oh eight? But I mean that was a. Huge... That's not the point of this episode. But there are just yeah. certain years that just jump out, and eighteen will probably go down in one of those halls yeah. of fame. But God of War, Game of the Year, tons of recognition. Uh, how did that affect your playthrough? Well, I kind of missed most of it because I bought, I got the game probably only a couple weeks after it came out. Like it was sort of my, 
I finished that year of school reward because it came out April 20th. And I think I've, my last day of school was like May the 7th or whatnot. And I got it like May the 8th. Like my parents got it for me as a good job at surviving the year kind of <laughs> thing. Cause I was also like, I had gotten sick at the end of my last school year. So I was miserable. You have yeah. good parents. Yeah, no. So they, they I know they said, good job finishing the school year. Where's our rent? <laughs> um it's funny because we have the same parents and they're paying my rent right now <laughs> yeah because you're the baby yeah. yeah well but um so i i was aware there was praise but for me it was just one of those things that i had heard enough good th- like the the early buzz was really positive all the early footage i was looking at looked really good and i usually don't buy something sight unseen but i had talked about it enough that they just were like here you you've been really wanting this go ahead and have it so that's part of why I was a little bit more surprised than you were when it won game of the year is because I played through it and I had an absolute, I mean, I just spent two weeks of doing very little, but playing God of war and having a grand old time, but I didn't really know what the critical reception was until much later. Um, so th- that's probably why I'm, I was a little bit more high on it than you guys. Cause you're like, all right, let's walk in, see what the, See how this matches the I expectations. Was kind of in the same boat as you, though. I was going to say, let's see what Braden's I perspective was, was before I go into my story. I generally don't pay attention to PlayStation games because I never had one, and mm. I just I didn't have the time to game for a long time. So I knew it existed when it came out, and that was about it. And I wasn't paying attention to it when that game came out. My like, I wasn't playing video games at that time in my life at all. So. I wasn't paying attention to new releases or anything like that. And um, I didn't know about the game until much later. So then we watched the documentary. I knew that they put a lot of work into it. It was a passion project for Corey Balrog and Balrog, however you say his name, Barlog? Barlog. 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 The opposite of the giant creature. Yeah, I said Balrog, which is the Lord of the Rings. Barlog and all of the other people involved in the making of that game. And... um. And I knew that it had received a lot of positive reviews. I didn't know that it had gotten tens across the board, actually. I didn't know that until I watched the documentary. Um, But even then, when I went to play it, I didn't have super high expectations. I was more just, I'm going to play this, and I'm going to try to not let what I already know about it affect my opinion. And I just want to play it and kind of naturally just digest it and see what my first reaction to these things is. And I can see why it got lots of 10 out of 10 reviews because there were very few, there weren't very many holes in its armor. There weren't a lot of things you could point to and be like, yeah, but look at that. You know? Well, yeah, and the ones that I can think of are also ones of like, you wrote, reached for the sun and you got a little singed. Like, okay, that didn't like we've talked about how impactful the story is. And there's like a couple scenes where like the dialogue is a little on the nose or it's like a little yeah. creaky, but it feels kind of nitpicky to you, right? Yeah, no, and it's that, like, yeah. Hey, when most of this game is like running on like all cylinders, having a couple bits where it's like, it sticks a little here or there. Yeah. Um, I don't know. It just, it didn't seem well. And I think this is a little off topic, but I think that the concept of rating scales is self-destructive because Everyone is afraid to give something a five out of five or well, yeah, a ten see, out of ten, 
so I have a social media account completely dedicated. It's called Letterboxd, um, where you just rate movies and whatnot and review them and discuss mm-hmm. which movies you've seen and all that sort of stuff. Like you see that on, on Amazon.com. Oh, yeah. You'll, I don't know why I dropped the .com there. I think everyone knows. But you go to Amazon. In the Amazon jungle. Yeah. You see, you see these, this product with four and a half stars, right? And you're like, mm-hmm. wow, that's a great product. And you go and it has thousands of reviews and you're reading the reviews. And there are so many that are like, I'd give it five stars, but I just don't do that to anything because there's no such thing as perfection or whatever. Right. It's like, if you think it's worth five stars, give it five stars. Oh, yeah. And so just the whole concept of rating well, things, I think that's is what also... I was getting in with letterboxes. I try really hard to be like, because I want to shift that conversation, the larger review conversation away from, hey, if it's lower than a seven, it means it's garbage. I'm like, no, honestly, we should change it to like five and above... Is like a five is a fine game. Yeah, that's average. That's yeah, mathematically that's the, 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 yeah, the review the score typically is like seven to ten. Or the seven mean. to ten is a good game. Seven is meh. Ten is yeah. awesome. So you're like, oh, it got a seven. And then it oh. usually that between zero and seven, you don't see a lot. It's either zero or seven. Like there's not right. Like you will sometimes see like a four, but really that what that or usually like a six. Yeah, but usually yeah. what that means isn't so much this tells you about the quality of the game, but as much as like this is like a Nickelodeon game and the reviewer didn't like, you know, like a game based off SpongeBob and the reviewer thought it was fine, but not for him. So he's like, I just, yeah, sure. It's a sure out of 10. Well, and there's, there's no such thing as an objective game review either, right? Because you have to know the reviewer and what their taste. Yeah. It's the reviewer's opinion. But God of war got high scores. It did get a lot of tens. There were a lot of tens, but I, I was more speaking to his point about how they would be nitpicky. So they wouldn't give it a 10. They said, well, it's a 9.5, but like <laughs> this dialogue was a little corny, you know? Right. So, Which is know. funny because Red Dead got 10s pretty much across the board, but then if you listen to podcasts or read reviews, people are like, yeah, I don't know why they like are trying to be simmy in this aspect, but not in this aspect, and I don't know why it does this and this and this, and they like kind of picked yeah. it apart to death, but then the score was like a 10. Well, yeah, no, yeah. they've noticed. Have you seen, okay, do you guys watch a lot of Video Game Donkey's videos? He's usually goofy. I will have to show you Yes, something. I've watched okay. a lot of his videos. His, I've his, watched none of his okay, videos. Okay, well, his, his review on game criticism is one of the few like serious, it's still funny, but it's like here's actually some serious thoughts on game criticism. And one of them was exactly that, where you would the the scores don't always match what the reviewer is saying. He gave an example of mm-hmm. like how this guy really loaded into one of the new Super Mario Brothers games. Like, hey, it's formulaic. We've done this like three times already. Why do you keep giving us the same thing? What's wrong with it? And it's like it's like a nine out of ten. Well, that's a meme in gaming. It's you the like, whole IGN is like this game's terrible, nine out of ten. You know, well, that's IGN for Red Dead Two specifically. They no, had- Red Dead had a lot of things where it's like. The chatter around it was usually like, hey, this has a lot of problems. But then the scores were, hey, this is one of the greatest games you've ever played. Because there were things like the graphics, the world building, the characters that were definitely 10 out of 10. Then there were some mm-hmm. gameplay decisions that were kind of archaic, but typical Rockstar that some people didn't like, but some so people then- like. But for the review specifically, the reviewer was in Australia. He was like a Red Dead slash Rockstar fan. Like they pick people that like the game mm-hmm. or like the genre, obviously. And so well, he yeah, reviewed it. Dedicate eighty hours to beat the thing. yeah, and he gives it a ten out of ten, and that's fine. But he's nowhere near the the articles being written or the podcasts or any of the mm-hmm. things that discuss it. And there they were split. I would say probably pretty 50 50 where some people like it was their game of the year they loved it and some people are like 
oh my God, why do I have to eat to keep up this stamina circle and all this kind of garbage, you know? And so it, it's just kind of like, you have to, you have to somewhat educate yourself and you also have to look at reviews as a a guideline. Like, okay. They're opinion pieces. Yeah. These sites gave it this score. I, I appreciate it. I know this reviewer, his tastes don't really line up with mine. But that's important. Like knowing that can help too. Cause even if you're like, oh, he's wrong about this game. You know, you're like, I love this game. He hates this game. Therefore, I have no use for him. No, that's actually mm-hmm. useful because then that itself is a barometer. So if like... Yeah, you can't say he's wrong so much as, okay, this is where he and my tastes don't specifically yeah. line up. So now I know in the future, you know, if he gives something a 10, I may not like it. Well, know? yeah, or, or it depends on the genre. Like once you know more about the reviewer, it helps. I mean, I use the example of... Um, okay, my favorite of the Marvel movies, and this is always a weird one for people, is the Guardians of the Galaxy Volume 2. Like of the new MCU films. And what was funny is I could get the feeling I would like it when I read a bunch of the negative reviews. Cause when the reviews came out, they were rather mixed. But when I read some of the negative ones, I'm like, well, what's the problem? They were saying things that I'm like, actually, I like that. Actually, that sounds good. Actually, that mm-hmm. sounds interesting. Cause they're like, well, it's kind of talky and it's just, it's more focused on like these little incidents of the characters hanging out and goofing off and not as much on like a plot. I'm mm-hmm. like, all right. Well, one of my favorite things about that movie is the fact that it is more focused on character interactions and them bouncing off each other. And the actual plot is fairly simple and it just pauses for periods of time for the characters yeah. to get to know each other better. I think that honestly just boils down to a very general um, life tip of don't just take what people say wholesale. Right. Well, and don't just look at the score and look at the higher low yeah, points and take that. It as applies to many facets of life. There, someone with a following says something about something you like, that doesn't mean what they say is wholly true. You know, your opinion still influences that. And you shouldn't, like, I struggle with this. Go, I'll go online and I'll read a forum about something and then I lose my opinion. My opinion just becomes what their opinion is. Mm-hmm. And I, it's, I have to consciously be like, no, it's okay for you to have your own opinion about something, even oh. if it isn't what, like, you know, the internet or whatever. Oh yeah. No, I'm doing the same. I'll do the same thing. Cause I'm in a movie chat room and we just talk about movies all the time and it's tough to like, hang on, are they right? Let me think. And you, you have this back and forth where you have to go, okay, what part of their opinion do I agree with? What part do I disagree on? I'm actually in the middle of a conversation right now. And I'll get back to you later this evening after the, we're done recording the podcast about the new Tarantino movie, Once Upon a Time in Hollywood, which I won't spoil for those in the podcast. I like, still need to see that. I had uh, signed I, up for... As well. I have yeah. not seen I've heard really great things. I, see, I've heard mixed things. Well, see, here's the thing. I absolutely adore it. It's my favorite movie so far this year, and I'm not even usually a big Tarantino fan. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it does um, kind of surprise me. Yeah, no. I adore it. I have a very good friend who usually has very good taste who's like, I didn't like it. Like he's like it was well made, but I thought it was yeah, kind I've of I've definitely heard like yeah. it's a very red dead thing where it's like, like 50-50 split. No. Hmm. So it's tough to like have those back and forths and say I can see where you're coming from, but I am coming from here. Does it you- have gratuitous violence and some sort of foot in someone's mouth scene? <laughs> If it does, you know it's a Tarantino film. You already know it's Tarantino. Yeah. <laughs> Which movies did he have? There are feet because it's Tarantino. There are so many Tarantino There's movies. There's just something important about being able to have a conversation and a discussion without, without arguing and without belittling and without like, right. and you're without dumb because you don't agree with me. Right. Yeah. And also just not giving in, like into, like being able yeah. to respectfully say, that's my point. We can agree to disagree. Is it's, right. Yeah. It's very hard for me, especially w- it's that whole group think in the populist yeah. mentality of- 
the big group online with hundreds of thousands of people says this is what you should right. think. And even if your opinion on something is drastically different, it's hard to not be influenced by that. Oh, yeah. And it's it's also like in the situation I was talking about with Once Upon a Time, I like this person. We get along really well. So if they're like, oh, I didn't like it. It'd be like, oh, yeah, no, you know what? You're you're right. You're completely correct. Yeah, sure. Yeah. No, you have to be like, you're a great person. I agree with you on so many things. But this, isn't this one is of not them. one of them, you yeah. know, and, and be able to still be friends and still, you know, be able to discuss and yeah. argue and well, all that. Without... And I would say there's probably validity from both perspectives. Like, oh, yeah. No, more than likely. What you love about it and what he doesn't love about it are probably. Well, and, and that's what's hard about video games and music and movies. It's it's entertainment, but it's also art. So it's very. So there's a lot yes. of like what speaks to me may not speak to you. Yep. Mm-hmm. And so, on that note, do you guys remember when we were talking about God of War? (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I mean, this is, you did want to talk about the critical reception. I think that is one of the things about God of War. Because, all right, a good, you know what, on the topic of God of War and critical reception, a good video everyone should watch is also Matthew Matosis's um, 45 minute long. Um, video Ooh, review. That's a long video. Yeah, I know. It's, it's, I, know. I like listening to it in podcast form while I'm doing other things. Hmm. Um, he spends 45 minutes talking about God of War. He isn't a huge fan of it. He doesn't hate it, to, right. but to him, it's like a 7 out of 10. Like, hey, mm-hmm. I have a Which lot of problems. isn't with... technically a bad score. No, no, no He that's what I'm saying. He, he thinks it's fine, but he has huge... He doesn't like the new camera system they did for the new one. He doesn't like the... He doesn't like the one-shot to, one camera movement um, Which, thing. let's discuss that real quick. All because right. we're I about to thoughts. we're about to kind of transition right. this out and that one shot camera holy crap that that wasn't any sort of a cop out in my opinion that wasn't any sort of a, a cheap way to do things anything like that that was an artistic decision that they made and in my opinion was impressive as hell because what movie or game or any type of entertainment have you ever seen that did that? Did that start to finish? Like I've only seen no a couple. Cuts. I've, I've, and granted, it might be easier with a video game because you can just kind of oh, make yeah, it no, work as opposed to a movie. But but also a movie shorter. Like this, I've seen even at least two loading movies screens. That do. Like when you fast travel, it's like okay, well, you may have to go into this weird little pocket dimension, but it's still yeah, one, whatever. But I mean, is that any? better or worse than staring at a bar yeah. or in Assassin's Creed. Would, You're in a loading screen, but you get to like control dog, your character yeah. for a minute I or whatever. I would much rather walk through the branches of the world tree listening to Mimir ramble Didn't about Dark something. Didn't Darksiders do something like that? Did you, you guys play Darksiders? God but dang it. Please. I would much rather walk through the branches of the world tree listening to Mimir ramble about some nugget of wisdom. Or even not. Even when you beat the game and you're just doing side stuff, it's like... Yeah, but my point is... Walking through this space and having control of your character and it fitting the world and the narrative yeah, it, is But more I would enjoyable. much rather do that than stare at a black screen with, with a some statue tips. of a dragon that you can rotate in a circle, <clears throat> Skyrim. Or Spider-Man. That, when we talk about Spider-Man, I'll probably get into this, but that was the most jarring thing for me, going from this game to Spider-Man, was any time I died... Or anytime I had to, like, go from an in- indoors thing to an outdoors thing, just sitting in a loading screen, it was awful. Yeah, you can kind of. It's probably a budgetary thing, but even Spider Man kind of did it to the extent where, like, if you fast travel, you see Spider Man like on the subway, bobbing with yeah. his headphones or something. Like, at least it's not. But completely- the most jarring thing is like when I die in a video game, 
I want to get back into the action as soon as I can because I want to make it right. You know, I died. That makes me mad. I want to go and kill the things that kill me. But then here's a 35-second loading screen of Spider-Man's crotch as you're, you know, looking at a press X to jump over a fence. Wow. And I don't know. What about The Witcher? It wouldn't. See, that's the thing is it wouldn't have bothered me before I played God of War. But now that I've experienced that, it's very jarring and I hate it. All right. So my thing on the the one shot thing because I actually put a lot of thought like for those of you at the podcast who are new I'm actually a film student who just graduated so I've I've studied a bit of this let's just assume everybody's new at this point yeah, yeah. no that's fair <laughs> um, but it it's not a perfect thing there are times like if you die or if you shut down your PS4 startup even pressing the pause menu kind of breaks the illusion a little bit but given that. It's still incredibly useful because there's a. If I have a pet peeve with most AAA games, it's that they don't. Their cinematics are usually not great. You have some people like Naughty Dog who really know how to do them, but most of the time it's just a slightly more advanced version of your standard camera faces this person. They yeah. stiffly say some dialogue. <laughs> Fallout camera 4. flips. They, yeah, it's. <laughs> yeah. it's Usually they're just Fallout nicer. Fallout 4 is like a AAA game in this generation that belonged in the last generation. No, no, it is. Yeah. Um, it's just a slightly nicer but version. But just that, like... But, the, but most games are just doing slightly nicer versions of that. Video Game Donkey, talking about him, I watched a review he did on, and I don't remember which game it was, but he, I was wow. watching a review he Way did. Way to do your research. Yeah, right. And he was talking about how jarring it is the difference between a hand animated cutscene yes, versus the mo-capped. the 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 just like well mocap or hand animated because he was talking about things the that cut wouldn't use mocap versus the, the cutscenes versus the just blank dialogue where they're staring blankly like right into the and camera. they're just their mouth movement is kind of generic and it sort of fits the words like, right the difference is Night astronomical and well and that's the thing I like about this is not just it's a incredibly artistic feet like the like you said it's just it's this attempt at going for it what i heard is actually cory barlog wanted to do this he almost worked on the tomb raider reboot and he wanted to try the one take thing for that and that that would have been cool they were like no <laughs> so he just kept it in his back pocket until god of war and so it turned out like i honestly don't know how you couldn't like it because i see it as impressive and cool that they decided to go with it and accomplished it but if it hadn't have happened the game would still be good. Well, yeah, no, the, the, mm-hmm. the other thing is there's a lot of technical work getting it into that one take thing. Like there's a lot of engineering that had to go into that, even for a video game, because you do have to hide the load screens and hide this and that and whatnot that you could, you know, in another game, just like slap the load screen up there. Well, um, and even just cutting. Just yeah. Cutting but, perspectives or, or shots. Like, yeah. If that would have happened in this game, it still would have been a good game. I know, but the, my point with why I like it, even if it's not perfect, is because of that, actually. Because even if they had done cutting, doing it as one continuous shot forced them to be really creative in how they staged the characters, how they put, the, put this thing. How, how they, they told st- the story. Right. Because mm-hmm. otherwise, you could just do... From you the could, bottom up, they had to think about that. Yeah. So you could have phoned it in, like there, there, and there would have been nothing... Games are hard to make, so you could have... But when you te- force yourself, no, it's one continuous camera... You always have to be thinking, what's the most engaging way to stage this? What's the most engaging way to put them mm-hmm. in there? How to move the camera? A great example of this is when you're in Tears Temple for the first time and you're trying to read the sand rune. And then the, he's like, it smells like rain. And then the lightning strikes and Modi shows up because mm-hmm. it's like right after you killed Magni. And he just kind of appears out of frame. But it's the it's perfectly executed because... 
they're going for kind of like a, a like trying to scare you and it it works because he really just comes out of nowhere and you really you get to see like the shock on kratos right because it's also they thought so much about where's the camera going to be what yeah. are we having them stage doing it as one take forces them to really think about even in the most mundane of cutscenes. What information are we trying to convey and what's the most interesting way to cr- convey that information? Mm-hmm. So it, I think it works on all fronts, even if like, okay, so you die, you go to a loading screen, you restart from the checkpoint. It doesn't, it's not perfect. I don't care. Like it, it's, it's I, a small blip in a grander attempt to do something. I'd be willing to bet that it forced them to make some creative decisions that wouldn't have happened otherwise. Oh yeah. That I guess it didn't bother me because I never died. <laughs> oh yeah. Were you Were playing you- on easy? <laughs> <laughs> no, I was playing on the hardest of hard. Oh, wow. I another small detail that I think will get brushed over. I love the difficulty names in this. It's not just easy, medium, hard, very hard. It's give me a story, give me um a challenge, give me something else, and then give, give me God, God of War. War. Yeah. And like yeah. I know for a fact I will never beat that difficulty mode, but it's like dang. Give me an experience. I mean you could, but you know, there's other games to play. <laughs> I know, I know, and that's yeah, exactly. But come on, how that was my how radical that was my be. thing with the. But Valkyries. see, I don't see it that way with with you dying and getting a loading screen. I don't, I don't count that against it. Well, no, but there's also the pause menu is the other big immersion breaker because once you pause, it does just go to a menu and you pick through the skills. It's like right, it cuts well, the okay, yeah, but. And I think they could have made it a little less jarring because the, like the way they handled the Dwarven Brothers was pretty smooth. Mm-hmm. And you know, you walk up, you press the button, and it kind of like pans the camera down, and then you're yeah. brought into this kind of. Yeah, they could have, static. and I'm not mad that they didn't. It's like again, but, when you're trying something so ambitious, because like, all right, yeah. But at the same time, I couldn't imagine trying to like mess with abilities or navigate the menu while I'm hurt, like rushed, because mm-hmm. that is one thing that I don't like about that kind of artistic decision is when you're in a gameplay moment that is like fast paced and you're like rushed and you want something to happen quickly being forced into like a mini cutscene of like oh let me pull out my newspaper it's like yeah it's super frustrating exactly like at, at the end of the day it's still a video game so if i want right. to mess up my stats and my armor buy some abilities and stuff i'm not mad at a pause screen well yeah, yeah. and i also want to point out for the little imperfections i only point out to concede that it isn't a perfect thing you asked before, like, how many movies or whatever have you seen that's one take unbroken? And I can think of a couple off the top of my head that I have seen. The thing is, those were the most, the two most famous are um, Birdman, which won Best Picture a couple years back, and Alfred Hitchcock's Rope. Um, I didn't, Birdman's fine, but it's a story about some people making a play with a couple of little fantasy sequences, like mm-hmm. fairly mid to low budget. Really only worth seeing, in my opinion, for the trick of like, oh, it's all one take. That's pretty cool. And Michael Keaton does really good in the part. Mm-hmm. Um, and then Alfred Hitchcock's rope is literally just framed like a stage play. It's one apartment, uh, party, there's a murder. It's very like, mm. you could set it on a stage. The 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 main trick is that it is shot in one unbroken take that they hide the cuts. Only be, They only cut because back then film cameras could only hold like 11 minutes of film before they had to reload it. So they had to stage the cuts so it looked like one continuous shot <laughs> so they could reload the camera. That's cool. Um, but both of those are fairly contained, small mm-hmm. stories. Right, right. Even Birdman, which is the much more visually ambitious, is a story about a guy trying to put on a play. Um, it's not the most like... 
God of War is like a big superhero spectacle, massive epic fantasy thing with the one take. Mm-hmm. So it's a much bigger ask. There's you fight a dragon in this game, There's, guys. Um, it's not obviously for the whole episode, but the Game of Thrones episode of the Battle of the Bastards wasn't mm-hmm. that all one shot? The battle, the sequence, battle was, yeah, which was very impressive because that was like eleven minutes of the it's episode. It's impressive oh, yeah. and it's intense. Yeah, it's super intense. Daredevil did one of those every season where they had like a one a one yeah, shot. Because like the, you go from being behind Jon Snow as a cavalry charge, like passes that over famous him. shot that even I who hasn't seen Game of Thrones has seen. Yeah, yet. like which is so intimidating. You see this wall of armored horses flying at you, and then there's no cut. Like normally in a movie you see that and then it cuts like an overhead or like a perspective of someone far away. And it's like, wow, that's crazy, but you're in it. And it was kind of like intimidating to watch because it just, it hits you and you feel that full impact. Oh yeah. As there you're are, watching as a film student, the long take is one of the most overused, like, Hey, look at me. I'm the director kind of tricks. <laughs> yeah. Um, <laughs> Cause it's, it shows up a lot in a lot of student films and it shows up a lot in not as like a whole movie, but you see long takes in very directory prestige movies. Yeah. Um, but there are serious advantages advantages to the practice, and that's one of them is you get more immersed. Yeah. Uh, my favorite thing was Daredevil, speaking of it, did an 11-minute fight scene in a prison in its third season. Mm, and I knew it was coming. It was, it's pretty good. I like the third season quite a bit, quite a bit more than two. I watched like two episodes of the first season, and then... I, I was I enjoyed it, but I I don't know what it was. But the I the first like, season I just, is really I just put good. the first yeah. season is my favorite. But yeah. it's three slow is, to start, but it yeah it's th- good. Three is worth watching, but it was funny because I watched it and I knew the I knew the shot was coming. Like I had heard we we didn't start it when it came out. It was right. a couple weeks later, so I had heard rumblings about it. So I knew it was coming. I watched it, and I looked at my siblings and parents who were watching it with me. I'm like. All right, let's see if they pick up on it. And at the very end of it, and it is insane because it is 11 minute long. There's like three different fights, an entire riot, like huge. And I'm like, and then they finally, I'm like, cut. And everyone looked at me weird. I'm like, that was just one long sequence. And they had gotten so absorbed in it, they didn't even notice that it was one long shot. Yeah, it's, yeah, it's kind of like almost like a Disneyland ride or something Mm -hmm. when you're like, you know, the quote unquote 4D experiences where you're just like put into it and then you just. To the surprise of no one who knows that I am not good with roller coasters, those were always my favorite at Disney, which is to sit down and think, like, oh, this is really cool. Well, we did one, I think it was actually at SeaWorld, where you, you like, it was some, it was in Orlando, but it wasn't Disney. Was Um, it Universal? Because the No, this was was a long time ago. This was like 2007. Um, It was like a helicopter flying through the glaciers of like Antarctica or something. Do you remember this? But basically, you're sitting in this big, you're sat in this large auditorium and the whole floor of the auditorium is on this like gyroscope that came. Are you sure this wasn't Soren at Epcot? Maybe it was. I feel like it was earlier than that though. Soren at Epcot has been there for like It could have been SeaWorld too anyways. Yeah. But it that was like nauseating cuz I yeah, I'm not a big roller coaster Screw guy. Screw you for killing the dolphins. But yeah, well this was <laughs> This was before we knew. Yeah, 13 years ago. <laughs> before I knew I was very young. Anyways, but it's this giant like IMAX screen and this entire auditorium is on like a gyroscope. And so you are put in the first person perspective of like a helicopter pilot and they pull you through these insane stunts where they dive and then it at the sounds very familiar, last second they pull we, up. And when they pull up with the visual it. perspective and the, the seats dropping and tilting back, 
you feel like you're in the helicopter. You feel the G-force of like being mm-hmm. moved around like that. And it made me so sick. I was freaking out the whole the time. Spider-Man ride at um, Universal is like that, as well as a few other Transformers, um, Harry Potter, and the Avatar ride at Disney. Yeah. And speaking of Spider-Man and Harry Potter, is there anything else about God of War? I was going to say, how many to talking points chest? do you have left? <laughs> We've probably been talking for like two hours now, huh? Just about. Yeah. yeah. Is there anything else about God of War that just you need to say that we haven't covered yet? Good game. I actually, yeah, no. This is not just a good game because the gameplay is fun and the story is fun. There's like, there's always this extra factor to some games. It's like a texture or like a, like just a mood that it sets. And I really love God of War's balance. Like you said, it's it's got a gritty realism, but it's also got a larger than life like fantasy. It's not ashamed of the fact that it's like, this is a magic axe. That is a serpent bigger than the world. Like yeah. this is, it, it's got this. I do love the way they handled the world serpent. I, yeah, it no, was that was so great. So the scene where it shows up and you're like, oh, yeah, you think that's you're a fight big it. dang snake. You're like, oh, well, especially seeing the trailers, you're yeah. like, I am someone who kills gods. This is a giant god-looking creature. Am I gonna have to fight this thing? And then yeah. you're like, oh no, he's no, actually the homie. But just the texture, the feel of this game, like the the, the yeah. sort of heart underneath all the different systems and whatnot. It's one of my favorite games in recent memory. It's not yeah. at the very top, but it's probably made the top 10. Also, something that isn't really directly addressed in the game, but you pick up on is like you're basically in a post-apocalyptic world. Yeah, it, no, that's it's stuff like that, though, that you pick yeah. up that most of Norse mythology has already happened. You are at yeah. the end. Yeah, and it's... It's just weird though, because you know you're a god, so it doesn't really. You're like, yeah, whatever. It's a trifle. Yeah, but, you like, only you only fight humans like at one point early on in the game. Yeah, the reavers. They're yeah. not because they've all fled Midgard. Yeah, yeah. I will say because I don't know if I mentioned it in previous segments, but for me going into this game, the hype level was set so high that, and I played Spider-Man first, which is the reason I bought a PS4, and that game was just like pure nostalgic fun for me. So I jumped into God of War with all the Game of the Year awards and yada, yada, yada. I'd already played Red Dead as well. Huge fan of the first one. And I probably played a good two-thirds of it thinking, this is just a good action game. Like, I appreciate the one-shot camera. I appreciate the character dynamics. I appreciate the setting. I appreciate the polish. I was like, but I just don't get the hype. And then, like I said earlier, when I got the, the blades, when you go back home and you get the blades and just like, I don't know, something just was like, oh yeah, here we go. It just, that that point was a turning point for me where I was like, all right, I could see this game in the running now. And then I finished the game, finished the story, didn't, didn't go home yet, but finished the story and was like, yeah, that was good. That was really good. I wouldn't make it my game of the year, but I enjoyed it. And then... I put it down for a minute. I think I started some other stuff and then I would just like kind of go back to it periodically and I started doing the side missions and freeing the dragons and I need to do that this time. I've th- I freed I've like got one. two of the three. Yep. Yeah. I freed all the dragons. I was exploring all the little side stuff, knocking out side quests, unlocking the gates, freeing uh or uh fighting Valkyries and just taking myself out of the story that everybody praised so much and just enjoying the gameplay and the craftsmanship, it kind of started to hit me like, all right, like this is what's speaking to me. And then was it you, Caleb? You were like, you need to go back home. Yeah. 
<laughs> you say you need to go back home and do the uh if you haven't done it yet, like check out that cutscene or animation yeah, the or whatever. And so I just on a whim I just went back one time and did it and was like, Oh shit. The sequel is gonna be yeah. amazing. I still me personally, that year, two thousand eighteen, Red Dead Two is my game of the year. But probably God of War. Ooh, I don't know. Between Red Dead 2, Spider-Man, and God of War, it was a close competition. But God of War is definitely in the running. And as a just as a pure art form in a game and what they accomplished and what they did would probably make second place out of just pure fun that I had. Spider-Man might creep above it. Mm-hmm. But yeah, it was it was fantastic. And I like how this is a spoiler cast. And we maybe spent twenty minutes of it talking about spoilers. <laughs> oh yes, Atreus is Loki. We, yeah, you, there you go. You guys mentioned Atreus is Loki. You mentioned that we Freya was super Baldur's mom. No, but I think the point of a spoiler cast isn't just. It's, it's just, just you can have a freedom. conversation without yeah, yeah worrying, without, worrying without about dancing around. You don't have around. to talk around like the Blades of Chaos. We talked yeah. a lot. Yeah, about the, the Blades of yeah. Chaos is a huge moment in that game, and we've mentioned it tons of time. And that was definitely the moment for me where I was like, like I talked about The Last of Us, and that game has such high praise. Mm. And for me, I'm glad I played it and I enjoyed it. I had to push through some parts, but it definitely did not have the God of War. Mm-hmm. Like did impact you, on me. Did you pick up on the the axe you use was made specifically as an antithesis to Mjolnir? I didn't, but that's an interesting. It's it was made by the dwarves. There's actually a dialogue thing you can get from them. But so is it the axe? The dwarves used in the Avengers movie. The dwarves no, 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 made it. And although they, the dwarves in in Infinity War. So basically, the timeline is Thor goes to Jotunheim, starts beating the shit out of the giants, slaughtering them, committing genocides, basically. And the dwarves are like, man, we feel bad for making that hammer for him. So they're like, hey, Lofe, here's this axe that is basically Mjolnir, but an axe. You can use this to defend your people, and we won't feel as bad. And then you just get it because you... She will. You, she yeah. gave it to her. And yeah. yeah, and she gives it to you, and so... Yeah. It's interesting how that plays in the next game, though. I'm, I hope they understand this. Whatever they do for the Thor fight in God of War 2 has got to be one of the most insane things. Like, the hype already for that fight was like... Okay, so when the quote-unquote stranger comes to your house Mm -hmm. in, like, the first 15 minutes of the game, Mm -hmm. the Thor fight's going to be awesome. That's true. Corey knows what he's doing. No, I just... And I think he really... Especially if you watch the documentary, Raising Kratos, YouTube, it's free. Come on. It's like two hours of your life. Go watch it. He definitely has a vision and an appreciation and he he definitely wants to bring god of war into like the modern more mature so era did you see that storyboard <laughs> and i have a feeling that it's crazy probably one of the reasons they haven't done dlc is because they don't want to touch on any of that stuff i feel like they like found their footing and decided hey this is the direction we want to go with this god of war but the next one is going to be like let's pull out all the stops I know you're not a huge fan of Tomb Raider, but like the Tomb Raider reboot, mm-hmm. the first one, everyone was like, oh, right. Laura Croft's not just a pair of tits. Like this is, she's a good character. There's other mm-hmm. compelling characters. The action's good. The gameplay's fun. The lore's pretty in-depth, actually. But the second one- The second one was much better. Is the one everyone praises. It's like, this is the game. If you're going to play one out of the trilogy, 
play this one. And I feel like God of War, the reboot, could be the same way. Oh, yeah. I but for Kratos. The only... Yeah, no. And I'm, I'm not concerned. I'm not concerned. I want to make that clear. But my only thing is I'll be interested to see how they tackle... Because God of War 2 is going to be a PS5 game. Oh, for sure. It's got to be. Like, there's no mm-hmm. time. Um, so... Say, how hey, about buddy. we wrap this up? <laughs> We've got yeah. a cat screaming in the background. But yeah, I, I've got just, like one more segment. I, I'll be interested to see how that affects what they're doing is adjusting to new. The other thing that's yeah. kind of interesting thing about is, I don't know if they decided this because of it or just it just happened to be, but they're dabbling in mythology that is more mainstream than it's ever been because of Avengers. Mm-hmm. And even if it's the Avengers spin on it, like people somewhat know these characters. Mm-hmm. So they kind of have to deal with that or just, mm-hmm. you know, whatever. Although interesting note before we transition into our final thing, cause this we're, you know, we're going to talk about trivia and this is an interesting bit of trivia. You talked about the axe Thor gets in infinity war Stormbreaker. Mm-hmm. That movie came out a week after this God of war game did. So technically he had the Kratos had the axe first. So. <laughs> What's the name of the axe? I'm completely in Infinity War. Stormbreaker. No, no, no. I know that. In oh, the Godfrey. Leviathan axe. Leviathan. Leviathan. Axe. Yeah. So yeah, that's not really a good transition because you just kind of like mentioned what we we're gonna do next. But speaking of yeah. trivia, <laughs> <laughs> well, I gave a piece of trivia. I just wanted to kind of go down. Uh, it's IMDb's list under the God of War Ooh. page of the trivia. That people have mentioned, there's not too many because IMDb is primarily the movies. movies. Yeah, there's not really a good game database though. That's... Yeah, there's no IGDB. Yeah, yeah. So there's what like one, two, three, four. There's like ten to fifteen maybe pieces of trivia, and some of them I think are semi repeats. But I want to kind of read them and. Maybe get like a little bit of reaction, maybe a little bit of discussion, nothing too deep, just kind of be like, oh, yeah, that's interesting, or or maybe share some thoughts, or maybe if it sparks like a, oh, yeah, speaking of that, I heard this, you know, kind of thing about God of War. So, some God of War trivia. I'm not going to read these in any order of like most interesting to least interesting because I didn't really want to put that much effort into it. So I'm just going to read it from top to bottom. And uh, if you have something you want to comment on it, just uh, speak up. So the first one, God of War 3 lost game of the year to 2010 in 2010 to Red Dead Redemption. Red Dead Redemption 2 lost game of the year 2018. To God of War. It's crazy that it lost game of the year to an entire year. That's insane. <laughs> no, but I think that's I think that's honestly fair. Any I haven't played God of War 3 yet, but everything I've ever heard about it makes it sound like at its best, it was probably pretty decent. Red Dead Redemption yeah. 1 was kind of a even though I haven't finished it and actually haven't touched it in a while, I need to play that like get back into that. But it was like a seminal piece of like Red video Dead game One art. was peak Rockstar. No, that's what I've heard. Like, like if you're only going to play one one Rockstar game yeah, ever, it, it was, should be Red Dead. It 1. was their peak when they still had Leslie Benzies writing games and 
just i guess as far as like their cultural impact and those kinds of things it was i think in my opinion it was their peak and yeah god of war 3 was more like here's an extension on god of war 2 yeah that was when god of war was starting to kind of stale lose relevance a little bit and so uh, it makes sense completely yeah and then it also to me makes sense that like because one thing we didn't talk about is that god of war also i think got a lot of praise because it was going back to the old hub and spoke type game design in a year of well in a recent era of a bunch of open world sandbox games right so that it felt more fresh and like a welcome return like oh yeah i've missed this do you think that some do you think that the reason god of war one was because it was that like it was that dynamic of there's the kid who's consistently good and then there's the kid who showed the most improvement and then at summer camp, they're like, this is the kid who showed the most improvement. Let's give him the awards. I think it was more that Red Dead was, sl- like, both were highly praised, but Red Dead was slightly more split. on. Yeah, the I think Red Dead was more polarizing because yeah. they took, I don't necessarily agree with what I just said, but like. No, I'm, no, it could be a, it could be like a here, let's give the button to this person because, you know, yeah, Rockstar is always going to Rockstar. Yeah, exactly. And it's like, if you evaluate them based on just how good they are, they're much closer. But if you evaluate them based on. I think the, uh, God the, of War had a more like concise, specific yeah, God of War was story focused. that it, yeah, focus story. Yeah. It had a, and a, there definitely wasn't the like two hours of mugging through a swamp to. It like, had a point it was trying to drive home, whereas you really had to stick out the like sixty hours of gameplay to really get the full effect of Red Dead Two, and a lot yeah. of people noped out after the first like ten hours and were and like, "Oh my you, god, when does this game if start?" If you didn't do certain side content once you weren't Arthur anymore, it was like, "Well, you're never going to do that again unless you start over." So, yeah. yeah so, I the next piece that. of trivia, the makers. The makers, the makers considered Egyptian mythology as a new setting, but decided to go with Norse mythology as it felt more natural for Kratos. Yeah, I've heard they've been kicking mm-hmm. around other mythology since God of War too. Like the the, I believe it. Like Cory Barlog, you think it'll kind of pull like an Assassin's Creed where God definitely. of War just kind of dis- like travels. Through I think different it's going to turn into yeah, Kratos just like wreaking havoc in each pantheon. I wouldn't mind though if unlike Assassin's Creed where it just jumps to a different one almost every game if each one was its own sort of slightly more drawn out because mm-hmm. as much as I just said I don't necessarily want Norse mythology to last three games if it can only be two. Um, I also don't want to get to an era where we get a new God of War more frequently but each one doesn't quite flesh out because yeah, I, I really right. i really enjoyed the more focused like here we're spending some time with balder and um mm-hmm. moki and modi um yeah magni and modi, magni and modi. <laughs> i don't know why i keep going to moki <laughs> mocha 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 latte so the next one this is the first game where Kratos is not voiced by Terrence T.C. Carson. Yeah, I heard I the, knew that. the main reason for that was um, they wanted someone who could mocap, was the same height as Kratos, so they could mocap him better. Interesting. And, I love Christopher I, Judge. Yeah, no. He did a, he did a good job. I've heard the other voice for Kratos, and I just like Christopher Judge's delivery yeah, better. Good. I mean, yeah. plus Christopher Judge, I think they both would do a fine job as Kratos, but Christopher Judge was, I think, a great decision for that version of Kratos. For older Kratos. Dad, older Kratos, yeah. Not to mention, I mean, no one does the whole boy. 
Like, yeah, like he yeah. Does. more. <laughs> Except for maybe Arthur Morgan. Well, no, he's more. doing more of a boy. I love how Game of the Year was the more. Battle of the Boys. It was boy and boy. Unless you had a girl horse, which was, yeah. all right, come on, girl. All right, girl. Um, That's pretty funny. <laughs> there's a few, like this next one, that are about voice actors and stuff. We don't really have to spend too much time on them, but Troy Baker and Nolan North voiced the characters of uh, of brothers Magni and Modi. They previously voiced, voice acted brothers Nathan Drake and Samuel Drake, respectively, in Naughty Dog's Uncharted 4, A Thief's End. They also worked in worked together in Naughty Dog's The Last of Us with Troy Baker voicing Joel and Nolan North, North voicing antagonist David. These are like two of the biggest names in video game voice acting, yeah. so we don't really have, have to, to dive into it too no, deep. But it, it's a neat little thing yeah. that they get that like they're they were involved. They it's not too surprising, but it yeah, makes, but it it, it's sense. like a neat like it's like when um, John Ratzenberger shows up in a Pixar movie or Alan Tudyk shows up in a Disney movie. It's like oh yeah, it's them. They keep. They keep. And this one we touched on. Uh, according to the game's director Corey Barlog, the game is open but not open world. It utilizes fast travel like many other open world games do, but it is more restricted compared to its use in other open-ended video games. Yeah, it's a... The hub and spoke. Hub and spoke, which is my favorite form of game design, so I was happy to see it back. God of War marks the second game where Nolan North and Troy Baker play as brothers, the first with Uncharted 4. Kind of repeats itself. Except when starting up the game, there's no loading screens nor any camera cuts throughout the entire game. We spent like an hour slobbering over that. Yep, we talked about that. Now, these are getting into more uh, spoilery trivia. Before Atreus reveals his other name of Loki, he displays traits associated with Loki. Mm -hmm. Atreus' mother was Jotun, named Fea. Loki's mother is known as Lofe in Norse mythology, with Fey being a shortened form of Lofe. Atreus asks if he can change into an animal. Loki was known to be a shape shifter. Mm-hmm. He could also communicate with a variety of creatures too. And they alluded to that with him being like able to hear creatures' thoughts and all of that. Mm-hmm. In Norse mythology, Loki's father is named Farbauti. Then Norse is hard. Yeah, mm-hmm. which is Norse for cruel striker. An appropriate cool. title for Kratos, who is Loki's father in this game, like we were talking about earlier, mm-hmm. tying into to the lore yeah. of the game. Uh-huh. According to creator Corey Barlog, the visual language of the game is specifically intended to imply that Faye left markings throughout the world to guide Kratos and Atreus on their journey. Because she foresaw their future, she laid out the path for her family with the yellow markings that identified to the player where Kratos can interact to climb or explore space. Hmm. which is kind of like a cop-out for, hey, we're going to guide the player, but it, yeah. it's a cool way to tie it into the yeah. lore. Yeah, and also I, I've never minded those things just because it's, I, we're not talking about At the about end of the day, it's still life. a game. I mean, yeah, no, yeah. and I'm not going to, because we're trying to wrap up, I won't go into a whole spiel, but I've always found the relationship between like what the game is trying to communicate without saying it outright to a player, and so little markings like that, like, Hey, you can climb up those walls, or hey, you can yeah, do that. I feel like that's a good design philosophy. Yeah, Thor and Odin are the Norse parallels to to Zeus in classical myths. Thor is the master of thunder and lightning; his weapon, the hammer of Mjolnir, and Zeus uses a lightning bolt as his weapon. And Odin is the supreme deity in the Viking pantheon, in much the same way as Zeus is the king of gods in the Greek pantheon. 
That's yeah, not super. Pretty exciting. much every mythos involving like any religion, like especially, um, what's the word I'm looking for? What is what's the word for multiple gods? Polytheist, poly. What's it called? Polytheist. Yeah, polytheist religions. There's always like a head god, mm. like you know, Ra right, in Egypt. Right. You know that kind of thing. So that Kratos has sense. to fight the sun. Yeah, yeah. That's going to be the fourth game after this one. The Jotnar Shrine? Jotnar. Jotnar? The J's are wise. Right, that makes sense. The Jotnar Shrine in Tyr's Vault depicts four civilizations and four symbols known by the Norse god of war. When asked about the meaning of the symbols, Kratos responds that the symbols represent war based on the one next to the Greek civilization being the Omega symbol. He claims to be familiar with the symbol, which was used in the prior God of War games. It is also the final letter of the Greek alphabet. It also is yeah. the the hook that holds his axe, like on his back, is the Omega symbol. Like it's that's the little latch he clips it onto. Yep. In Tears Vault, there are several artifacts from his travels to other lands. Among these are Egyptian crowns that Atreus examines, mm-hmm. a pot depicting Kratos wielding the Blades of Chaos, and a bottle of wine that Kratos shares with Atreus in a subsequent cutscene. Mm-hmm. I loved the pot with Kratos. It's, like, it's just a really yeah. nice little moment where he's like, oh, yeah, there's my past right there on a vase. Yep. And in case you didn't know, the final <laughs> Did You Know Trivia, Kratos' trademark Blades of Chaos return in this game. We wow. didn't. We missed we didn't that entirely. That. Yeah. I didn't notice that when I was fighting the Valkyries at the end of the game. No, I thought that was. I thought. I don't, I don't know. Sixty percent of those were pretty interesting. Yeah, and, and a, a lot of them we kind of touched on in our discussion. Well, yeah, but it's but, because of resources like that that we knew that. Like, oh yeah, no, that's interesting. It, it's it. It really shows the like level of detail that the creators of the game went to. Like, yeah, you could just play this start to finish just as an action game where you don't give a crap about anything and you're just fighting bad guys. And you'll have a good time. But but if you really want to dig in, they, like, definitely spent some... Say major props to the story department. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. One they thing spent I some time and energy crafting, like, all the stuff in the background. Mm-hmm. It's like, oh, yeah, technically Kratos could be Loki's father because of this and yeah, that, you no, know. Yeah, that amount of thought I just appreciate. I also wanted to touch on... That um, I really appreciated how the side quests had their own little stories at the beginning, middle, and end. Like they, yes. they had little arcs, and yeah. I, I thought. That and a was lot like, of those are really well thought out and crafted. And I think a lot of that is, I don't want to say because of The Witcher, but you know, hmm. post Witcher, a lot more thought in video games has gone into the side quests. I like, think the Witcher, why don't we make little missions that you're going on more meaningful than just collecting ten rabbit pelts? The Witcher you know? Three was definitely a. It was kind turning of, point and a precedent at the same time. It, yeah, it was it changed, kind of calling out every other. It changed RPG. the scene entirely uh, in that genre. And I hope more more things, not just not just action RPGs, but more things learned from that. When it's like, hey, you have these little side adventures. Yeah. Okay, but what if I actually well, care? Just in scale and depth and background lore and character so, development, and everything. God of War, the quote unquote reboot, was a great game. Uh huh. If you didn't own a PS5 and then God of War, the sequel to the quote-unquote reboot, was about to launch, mm-hmm. would that be a system seller for you? I'm buying the PlayStation 5 because... Like, the question was if you didn't have no, one. No, 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 no. No. No, you have to understand this. 
the reason I will buy a PlayStation 5 is because of God of War 2. Like, I probably won't buy it at launch, like the PS5 at launch, but once God of War 2 hits, I will probably buy it. God of War 2, 2. Yes. We're, God of it's War like Amazing Spider-Man. Five. Yeah, yeah. God of War, whatever they call this yeah. next one, because they probably won't God call it 2. God of War, but... Electric Boogaloo. Well, it'll actually all be about Atreus, and it'll just be called, um, instead of Dad of called boy, boy, Boy of Dad. Boy of Dad, oh, nice. Hmm. Uh, the answer for me is no, because... I'm sure somebody else I know will buy one and I'll be able to bum it off because I don't want to Because I'm a bum. Yeah. I will want to play For it. me, probably either the, that game or the sequel to Insomniac Spider-Man will push me yeah. over the edge unless something else comes out about how awesome the PS5 is going to be that makes me buy it at launch. Yeah. One of those two games will push me to be like, all right, it's time. I just don't know that I have it. Unless you have a system seller at launch like the Switch did with Breath of the Wild. I don't know that I can buy a system at launch again. I've just I've done yeah, it a couple it's, times and it's not that's, worth it. That's a discussion for another episode, but for sure, yeah, it seems like it's always probably a good idea to either wait for the library to catch up or for revisions, especially with the future we're moving into where a lot of games are cross-generational or mm-hmm. backwards compatible. And, and now we're getting into the streaming of games with Stadium. Yeah, so which that's an entire Yeah, there's just a whole other discussion about it, but... I would say that God of War and Spider-Man in the traditional console sense would be system sellers for me. Mm-hmm. So uh, yeah. this has been a great discussion. And unless you two have anything else you need to say about God of War. We've been talking for two hours about yeah. God of War and literally anything else that came into our I heads. think we need to come up with a sign-off for this podcast. Is there an official sign-off yet? Uh, so far, it's just been uh, like a goodbye. But no. if you have something you I think mean, should be there's nothing. At the four right now, but I'm just putting that out there. Why don't you write into my personal? If we had fans, I would say, "What do you guys think?" (laughs) Well, how about for right now, you guys just say goodbye, and we'll work on a a good, consistent sign off. Okay. Bye. Have a nice night, everyone. Thanks for listening.